0: I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil.
1: Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back, and we're going to talk about a very new program that's starting here on the show and something that we tease at the end of the it episode we we're, do- we're done with the october's month of horrors we're talking about one good scare which is a where we're doing a chronological exploration of all the halloween movies once a month leading up to this october which is the new release of the new upcoming halloween movie which john carpenter and dan mcbride's involved in
2: if it doesn't get canceled too they already started shooting
1: did they? Yeah, you know, you like Halloween movies has actually been uh, new. Halloween been- movies,
2: the last time I checked, is like grossly behind. They still haven't even posted that as of the as of, as of last time I checked, which it's now January 2018. Joanne they didn't, even, J- up, they J- didn't J- even update that freaking Nick Castle was back.
1: Yeah, they posted that they the, the, uh, photos from the set of like it was it was the um, the back of the like director's like kind of like director's chair that had to shape. That's what it said on there. But if you want to introduce yourself before you uh, uh, um, go balls deep at HalloweenMovies.com.
2: Hold on, I'm looking this up on my tablet. You all just wait, too.
1: So, I do have a guest with me who is being Mr. Antisocial, which is kind of hard for an auditory program, but he's going to be kind of quiet for. It's Mike Wilson, if you haven't been able to tell
2: from The Voice thus far. Oh, this is new? I haven't seen this yet.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what you get for being uh... a... I'm sorry, the
2: last update was November 6th. And i visited here quite a bit looking for news. Gotcha. Now, that's relative. Come on, Stefan. Get get on your game, bro. Yeah. So, hi, Mike. Hi, Tim. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm hanging in there. I'm alive. But you're looking forward to this. I am excited to be here in this inaugural first edition opening day. First day of the government. Actually, no. Second day of the government shutdown. Yes. (laughs) When the government fails you, we well, pick up the ball and run into the fucking end zone, man. Yes.
1: If you if we're the ones providing entertainment. And so as you tell from the title, we're reviewing the first Halloween, John Carper's Halloween, the nineteen seventy eight classic. So and we,
2: unlike your elected officials, are doing this for free.
1: Yes. So let's jump into our review of it right now. Before we do anything why did you want to do this specifically why do you want to do like i know you teased it, you talked about it again reiterate for some who may have not heard that tease the end of the end episode why did you want to do this specifically
2: well you and i love halloween i the would holiday say, and the series i would say we are pretty much obsessed with it um tim comes over to my house every sunday after work we hang out and so many times when there's nothing to do we'll just say let's just put on halloween yeah. Why the fuck not?
1: Exactly. We,
2: we have immersed ourselves in everything from trivia to speculation, practically writing our own goddamn fanfic half the time. We
1: made a fan film at one point. We did make a fan film, and
2: we made a fan film. Yeah. That,
1: Which yeah. is, there'll be the link to it in, to my video account in the description below, people. If you want to take, take a gander at that, please be kind. So,
2: yeah, we, we, we just love Halloween, and you have done your... Pottercast, i believe it's called yes with our dear beloved dakota and nikki mm-hmm. and that you tell me has a, that's been a good success it's a lot of the people who are dedicated
1: listeners that's why they stuck around is for because like oh they love the harry potter stuff to the point that i'm like i've listened back to some of the episodes and i'm like i could do this so much better so i'm constantly that's why he hired to- me well, yeah, and so I con- we were c- contemplating going back and, like, maybe doing, like, a couple chapters at a time review of each book, but, um, yeah, and so, like, the people who really enjoy the show, they do enjoy a lot of it for the Harry Potter uh, stuff, and you kind of want to apply that kind of...
2: We decided to take that concept and go with something else that you are passionate about. Right. With someone that is equally as passionate. Which, so... When it's he- in the same vein, in the same mindset, you know... Because I believe you guys finished it, right? Yeah, yeah. So there you go. So for na- for this will be like the next uh, primary subject podcast you have, right? Like mini series.
1: Yeah, and so since we're so obsessed with it, I think we should go back to the beginning. And so for you, where did it begin? When did you first become introduced to Halloween?
2: Well, I could let me just preface it by saying I could tell you folks I think that the actual review of the film itself is going to be pretty short and to the point that we talk about because it's it's fucking Halloween. There's been documentaries on it, left and right, up and down, what else can you say? So I feel like this is going to really become more about our personal feelings on it, how it's affected us. We'll right. we will get into review stuff, yes. talk about it from all those aspects, aspects, but there's going to be a lot of us in this. Um, for me, the year was 1997. Uh, I was staying over my aunt and uncle's house and my cousin.
1: The Monday Night Wars were going on. The, the Monday time. Night
2: Wars were going on. Um, you, could, well, you couldn't you could really believe in wrestling because I didn't believe that there was a guy named Beaver Cleavage running around. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally forgot about that. I was staying over my aunt and uncle's house and my cousin Jessica, who at that point, I, I would say she was fairly obsessed with Halloween as well. She got me into it. She decided to watch it one night while I was over. Didn't give me a choice because I I was not a scary movie person. I frightened easily. I'm still afraid of the dark in my own shadow pretty much and pretty much anything that involves leaving my house. So we put this movie on and of course she had to watch it with all the lights out and with a single candle lit. (laughs) And it was an old, dingy VHS rental copy which had, you know, the picture quality, if any of you listening remember VHS... I don't want to say it was the Dark Ages, but compared to like what we have now, we're we're spoiled now. With, yes, with, with 4K Blu-ray HDR, and even the ability now to go back and watch some of these old movies on actual film that people are doing. So, right, we're a bit spoiled now. But the thing looking back then was that this VHS dingy copy had a real like rawness to it that I remember. You know, we watched it. We watched the beginning. I wasn't really too scared yet with the beginning, and even throughout the course of the movie, I'm just like, what the the fuck is with this guy? Is that his face? Is that a mask or whatever? Because of how cut around the monster this really was and how you really didn't get up close to him until the end when he was in your face. He spent the majority of the movie around you, you know...
1: In the out, the shadows and in everything. the shadows
2: outside your peripheral vision, you know, something you noticed just out of the corner of your eye, and it really did build up until come got with to the music end. wherever you went. And the music definitely stood out. after watching the whole thing, thinking back because memory is a damn fuzzy thing, I do remember not really feeling too scared, okay? I definitely I thought it was something cool to watch. It was one of my first major like horror movie experiences. But as time went on, I found myself more and more fucking unnerved by the thought I let, of it, you know, thinking about it. I was a latchkey kid at the time. My mother and stepfather worked, so I would come home from school, let myself in, and be alone in the house for a while. And in those winter months when the sun goes down early in this, you know, two-story house we had with the sliding glass door that anyone could see through, big windows in the front, you know, there was, some, there was something about that that just made me a little unsettled. And I just could not get this fucking movie out of my head. You know? The more I tried not to think about it, the more I felt it was in there. Right. So, back then, we had this old archaic thing called the TV Guide. <laughs> it's This is for, for you you youngsters today, and I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm not trying to be some old man.
1: He's just trying to put it into context. Put into context.
2: It, if you wanted to know what was on TV, you didn't click the button on your remote. Yeah. We had, we had a subscription, not to TV Guide, the actual brand, but like a... a it was. I think it was made by our local cable company.
1: Okay. It's but it Bur- served the same purpose. For you
2: Long Islanders, town of Brookhaven cable, gotcha. which I hear has not gotten any better since 1997. <laughs> they still stiff you on every fucking way possible. That right, but anyway, man. we just had, like, basic cable, a couple movie channels, not much, no HBO, no Cinemax. It only went up to a certain point. We could watch scrambled porn when we wanted to. We did have that luxury. It wasn't like with a cable box where we just have the message, this channel is blocked, whatever. You could, like, actually watch, like... Port. pixelated Pi- not even pixelated just the sync signal was completely taken out of it so nothing the image didn't hold properly the colors were warped everywhere but every now and again you could make out a boob <laughs> and you could hear everything in full okay, grisly detail
1: uh, at least you can hear it then you can make your own imagination well, and someti- over-
2: sometimes the frame would steady long enough but the colors would be completely like it would be like almost grayscale oh, shit. but you could tell what was going on Okay. or like negative style you know right anywho what were we talking about oh yeah Halloween not, yes not <laughs> So, I would look through my TV guide and everything, and every now and again, there's like the movie section where they give you the little brief synopses, how many stars it got. I don't know by whose standards, but I'd always find Halloween, and then I'd see some of the sequels. We'd go to the video store, another thing from the days past, that old thing called Blockbuster Video. I'd find myself just wandering around, and I don't know if it was just a conscious or subconscious so thing. Wander to the horror section, and there's Halloween, Halloween Look at all these, and I'd just look at the box art and everything. On the back, the descriptions, and just, like, something just primal would set in there that would be like, I shouldn't be looking at this, I shouldn't want to look at this, but, but I can't stop myself. Okay. So I know later that same year, looking through the, the whole guide, I found it was coming on on Encore, which is still around. Yes. Encore channel. I sat down with my stepbrother they, to they, watch they've it. They've had their Encore. I just, shut the fuck up. <laughs> the fuck up before I choke you with my microphone cord. <laughs>
1: I know my buddy Justin Lee is going to pop for that because he loves when I make really bad puns. So <laughs> yeah, I know he'll he'll enjoy that. Go on, anywho,
2: I, you know, I wanted to watch it. My stepbrother was home, and I remember telling a lot, a couple of people in my household about like how how scary it was. So we sat down, we watched it, and this is back in the day, folks. You know, four by three aspect ratio of a two three five uh, shot film. So a lot, a lot of information on the sides cut off. Yeah, a lot of pan and scan. But this showing I remember watching – I can remember watching and really just being scared out of my fucking wits. Really? I I really remember the second time I watched it, it had more of it. The first time it planted something in my head. The second time it it full-blown consciously fucked with me. I remember me and my stepbrother just being like, oh, God, you know, just jumping when something would happen. The the most visceral example is when Annie comes back in. The character of Annie comes back in after getting stuck in the laundry room, gets on the phone. She's walking back and forth. While she's talking to boyfriend Paul, the um, what is it? The back door, like the glass back door, is, yeah. is still open. And as she walks past, you know, there's nothing there. But when she walks back, there he is. I remember that freaking us out. Everything building up. The soundtrack stuck with me more that second time.
1: Now, watching this in pan versus watching Ghostbusters in pan which one was a bigger difference when you watched in widescreen for the first time?
2: Um, probably Ghostbusters because I remember watching some shitty and scans mm. to the point where like entire visual comedy scenes were ruined. The elevator scene. The elevator was scene the, was the, particular. The, the and scan version I taped off of HBO one one night. That was the VHS copy I had because I, I taped it. Mm. That was, by, I got an email. Sorry. Yeah, okay. sure <laughs> heard that. My, tablet, my tablet's being noisy. So, you know, I'm going to turn it down right now. You could edit this out if you want to, but leave it in because it's funnier. It's yes. for comedic timing. Ooh, my credit card statement's ready to be viewed. Okay, cool.
1: <laughs> Don't view it now because you might get angry halfway through the
2: episode. And I've learned to live with debt. Okay. <laughs> I've learned to manage it. So. Debt is the friend that won't ever leave you.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: and so, yeah, this, it
1: terrified you this time around. The
2: second time around was definitely scarier than the first. After that, I just remember it being stuck in my freaking mind. I could not function at all. And this, we were getting closer to the winter months when the sun is going down by 4 o'clock. You know, the parents don't come home until about six. I'm by myself, you know, with the house dark. Sometimes my step siblings who lived around the corner would come knocking uninvited, unannounced. And that would just I'd never know what to expect. Sometimes they come through the back for whatever reason. They can go, oh, yeah, the back door might be open. Let me go through. I remember. Would they do it intentionally to scare you? No. They would just do it because they could, would come and go as they please. Oh, okay. They're not even supposed to be. That's the thing, though. The, 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 the Their whole parents' divorce settlement was he gets them on the weekends, she gets them during the week. Gotcha. Because they live so close, they would just stroll in whenever the fuck they wanted. Okay. You know, <laughs> I, we could go further into into the, the dark ages of, of my step family life, but.
1: This is supposed to be an entertaining
2: podcast. Yeah, it's supposed to be entertaining. Well, it might be. You never know.
1: Yeah. We may stumble into entertainment sometime, but yeah, go
2: on. but and not trail off. <laughs> <laughs> they would just drop in unannounced. I remember some friend I had in the neighborhood that lived a few houses down. He'd just show up if he was bored, whatever. And it would just be, it would just—I was already unnerved and on edge, knew I was alone, and just to have people just show up unexpectedly. Kind of just—it—it—it it, it, it freaked me out. It made me feel weird. Going upstairs, like like usually, by the time the sun was setting, I would just pack everything I had downstairs and just go to the upstairs, like. Room we had like a, we had like a little like I don't want to call it a playroom or whatever we mm-hmm. had like our computers in there we had the larger size TV right you know big entertainment center with all all the video games were eventually moved up there so I would just migrate up there and just the, the angle of like the doorway with the dark hall and if I didn't have all the lights on in the hallway I'd be freaked out you know I just always had this weird visualization almost like a like a hallucination of just someone fucking walking in. So I I was completely fucked in the head. I was unnerved. I needed, like, constant, like, noise from the TV at all times, music from the computers, whatever. I just needed something to occupy me mentally so I would not go into that place where I'm thinking about this fucking movie and worried that something's going to come and kill me.
1: Hmm. Well, I may have had it to such an extreme like you, but my introduction to Halloween actually goes back to the first time I saw Scream. Uh, When I was five or six years old, my sisters had gotten it. They were babysitting me. They wanted to watch it. I wanted to watch it because I'm an annoying younger sibling. So, of course, like your sister's doing something that seems relatively cool. You want to be involved. even Especially when they say they don't want you. They're like, no, you're not going to like it. Like, you double down. Like, no. I he was the
2: same kid. way about having them do his makeup and paint his nails. No. He's not saying no. <laughs> uh, it took you long enough. <laughs>
1: Well, 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 I have a moment of pause to think about something and all of a sudden you jump down my throat. What if that reminds me of somebody? That's all I'm going to say. What? Yeah, exactly. Um, So, Saw Scream and it had so many influences and there's so many nods to Halloween in that. Like that just instinctively was in the back of my mind and Scream the first time it terrified me. And then I saw Halloween H20 because it was the newest one at the time. And I forget if my sister Eileen or Stephanie rented it and I watched that with them. And so after seeing that, <clears throat> I guess my mom had told me, like, oh, there is another one. There's like an original. That I like – that's a sequel. I'm like, oh, what's the original? It's, it's it's just called Halloween. And I remember going to my local library and looking it up and seeing, like, John Carpenter's Halloween. This is my first real introduction to John Carpenter in the first place. So I rented that, pan-scan VHS, and I must have been maybe seven or eight years old at this time and watched it.
2: And it I was 13, Wow. It,
1: yeah. It goes to show you how screwed up I am, amongst other
2: things. I saw, like, Terminator yeah. when I was five <laughs> years old, and so... Um, I think I saw that when I was, like, seven or eight, because I remember the action figures were heavily advertised to kids. Yes. So I thought Terminator was the coolest thing, and I watched it, and there's Sarah Connor screaming F-bombs in a mental institution. Uh, the first I saw the first one first,
1: and then I saw T2. But, no, it was the first time I saw a pair of tits and a sex scene, and then when the bad T-800 and Terminator one's doing the surgery on his arm and his eyeball. And so... I was obsessed. I was fascinated by that, especially because I said John Carpenter's Halloween, and I would go. I would go back to the library and find out what other John Carpenter movies are out there. That's when I I discovered like Assault on Precinct Thirteen, that They Live, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and that just kind of cemented my my fandom for John Carpenter. That still remains to this day. He's my second favorite filmmaker, and he's always in the back of my mind whenever I go and shoot something. And Halloween has st- stuck with me to such a point that this weekend. We're recording this on a Sunday. I know it's going to mean jack all to people when they finally listen to it. But Friday going to Saturday, when I passed out, um, I had a nightmare about Michael Myers, <laughs> and I was—I told you the story earlier this evening. But for the listeners, I, from what I remember, I was in a police station that looked very much like how the police station looked like in in the movie Seven, and Michael Myers in the vein of like Tyler Maine, like that's like the big hulking. But still skinny, kind of. Uh,
2: and the dirty, dingy looks like a nasty killer.
1: Yes, but not but not like Halloween 2. It, it was Halloween 1. Not, not without the gunshot wounds of the face. It was still the the ratted uh, mask, but it wasn't all totally fucked up. He's coming after me. Cops are trying to stop him. No avail. Bullets like They're, they're plugging a bullet at the bullet of nothing. We eventually get down into the parking garage, and we're trying to start a car. He eventually grabs me rip, after ripping open the door, and that's when I, I sit up in my bed. At 5.30 in the morning trying to catch my breath. And I'm like, I've not had a nightmare about him in, for years. And before then, I, whenever I look into a shadow at, at nighttime, I would, I would imagine him being there. Or he could be in there. That's the power of this movie is that – and I think that's the importance of the ending of this movie. I know we're jumping a little ahead, but that evil could theoretically be, be anywhere. He could be anywhere.
2: So – with that said, well, it's funny you also mentioned Scream because Scream was like the second horror movie I ever watched. Right? Because like um, months later, after I was already freaked out by Halloween, my oldest stepbrother – well, all my step siblings, we got together and Encore. It was either Encore or Stars. They were premiering. It was the the like cable movie channel premiere of Scream. Mm-hmm. You know, right before the release of Scream Two, we all sat down to watch it. My mother's like, if you get if you can't sleep at night, you know, it's on you. Whatever. Right. I watched it, and I got, like, one of the best night's sleeps I think I've ever had in my life. Like, I felt very... It's almost rare. Like, I feel that energized when I wake up. And I think part of that is because, like, look at who the killers were. They were ordinary teens. Yeah. Out for revenge with a motive. This was just a, a guy who was a force of nature who you don't know what the fuck he's after. Yeah. You just know he did something really evil as a kid, was locked away. Broke out. Was locked away. Spent the entire time just, like, this silent, like, force over everyone. Broke out. No reason why. No particular. It's an anniversary, that's about it. Fifteenth anniversary of the first kill, and then you know, just becomes this force of nature. The boogeyman.
1: And not Jimmy Valiant. <laughs> Woo
2: <claps> Have mercy. I tell you when Boogeyman's watching Halloween, <laughs> boogie's feeling low.
1: Ah. <laughs> low.
2: Uh,
1: if you don't know who Boogeyman Jimmy Valiant Ooh, is, why mercy, is Daddy. try and find some of his promos on YouTube. It's hilarious. Um, so, with all that said, let's jump into the movie itself right now. So, the movie opens up with How the, will we jump
2: into it? Uh, it's with a, the, how do you jump into a disc? With your imagination. Jump into my TV?
1: Actually, yes. Mike, you go first. You jump into the TV. I'll follow right behind you.
2: No, you first. You show me how it's done. No, I don't no, no, know no, no, how no. it's done. I'm questioning no, it's it. It's really easy. You let me know.
1: No, like all you have to do is believe. You have to believe that you can do it, and I'll be right but there with you. You have to you. show me. No, I can't. It, it, show it can't. me Parappa. No, is, you see, it, it, the the owner of the TV has to go. All first. Right, this is dead anyway. <laughs> Let's just continue. So the opening titles of in the orange glow and the pumpkin and glowing at the at uh, the beginning here. Uh, your feelings on how these titles grab you every time you watch
2: it? (sighs) Honest to God, I mean, it just... I I, I can't really say... really go too descriptive. It just... You know, it just shows you what it's all about right from the start. Everything you need to know. The, The... They're not
1: dated, that's for sure.
2: No, God, no, not at all. The Compass International Pictures logo, that's the film that made it. Shows up with the music playing, you know... Does it say somebody's name first, or is it just no? It says uh, Mustafa Akkad, yeah. the fight answer. We'll get into all the technical shit in a minute. Yes, that and then cue you know a pumpkin with a jack o' lantern there with the title John Carpenter's Halloween. Oh, you know it slowly zooms in on the pumpkin with all the credits and all the people's names. The music has definitely kicked into crescendo at this point. It is just very. It is so freaking simple. There's like nothing to say. It Just lets you know what it's all about right from the start.
1: Yeah, and the music cue it's become what very is, famous is it's a 5/3 5/4
2: 5/4 okay. 1 2 3 4 If you if you if you whatever tempo you got, your time signature, right. You do f- 5 5 beats per measure, right. And the quarter note of your tempo is what gets the beat. So at that it, at that tempo it's one That's your tempo. One two three four five. One two three four five. Do 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 do
1: Which is unusual because usual, I guess, the or typical beat is four
2: four. Four four is very common, or eight four, which is double that. Right. I mean, it all evens out. Gotcha. Four four is like the four four or eight four is like the most standard for songwriting.
1: Now you think it, because it's five four and it's a little off kilter in comparison to four four or eight four, it, it already like, subconsciously makes the viewers feel a little
2: uneasy. I think it would have done that trick no matter what, but possibly because the beat, even though it, even though it is steady, it is not... Even though it's steady that you could nod your head to it...
1: You could tap your toe along e- with it if you want to.
2: Each new measure feels off by, like, a little bit because of that odd time signature. Right. And even if you bum, have bum, no bum, bum, knowledge of music, this is shit that just... Sub, it, 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 I think it adds to it subconsciously.
1: Yeah. I think it's the power of music. I mean... I remember it was so simplified. That was like I got the Star Wars trilogy like soundtracks. I bought like like they did in the '90s um, before the pre. It was pre special edition. It might have been in good old days in conjunction with the last release before the special editions. And the little booklet that came with it said, "Okay, the reason why John Williams' score and music in movies are so important in general. You you show a person driving down the the highway, and you have something really fast paced and bumping music with it. You have a certain mood." Same footage. You put a little, like, sad or morose song underneath it, completely different feeling whatsoever. The music is so is so linked to our emotions and can help, it can define whatever images you're to. Even It's more powerful than images, and I think the power, I think, sound is sometimes more powerful than images in a movie. I mean, like, the right music here, the right sound effect can really elevate a scene that, that could be kind of mediocre. I mean... For instance, for example, oh, you look at Blair Witch Project, with the video quality and and the picture quality is not great. You have high eight video. Meant to be. It's not meant to be. But that sound is clear. And you can understand exactly what's going on, and the sound of whatever the noises that are going on in the forest at nighttime really define the terror. I think audio is more important to horror than visuals. But getting back to Halloween, so we, speaking of visuals, we're open up to one of the most iconic shots in movie history. Well, it's
2: interesting, too, with these opening credits. I mean, it, I... I guess I can get to this point later on, but I was going to say, I, I remember so vividly watching a lot of it on TV, TV broadcasts, and they used to have Compass used to, I believe it was Compass, the yes. filming company, used to have like an opening little intro, like dun 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 dun, and it had a very kind of colorful but grindhousey look to it. Right. And I remember that in like every time I watched it on TV, and it almost feels weird without it now.
1: When we saw trailer trash last year for the retro picture shows like some of the of the summer, like the Pay to Get Out Horror Marathon, was there a Halloween trailer in there or was there – there was a Halloween trailer in there, wasn't there? It might have
2: been two or three. They, 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 I, I think we've seen them before but not in the trailer thing. I okay. I we've seen it in other ones.
1: But did it have a grindhouse like kind of stinger – like a bumper at the beginning before the trailer because that no. sounds oh, – really? Okay. No. I, I may Maybe something right? else. Okay. So – the Movie opens up with a the opening on a house and it's a
2: POV shot and children dude, children singing a little rhyme. Yes. It lets you know the the date October thirty first, nineteen sixty three. Right, Halloween with children singing a little rhyme about trick or treating and yeah. witches and ghosts. Which I've, I which I, I'm kind of
1: it makes this movie more unique. That's only in this movie that had like, a little limerick or a little stanza of rhyme that's in there. I, I'm curious if that that's something they may
2: bring back. I don't know, because at the time when they did this, they obviously, as we will also say, they had no intention of making a sequel. Yes. You know, ten more more films later. Yes. (laughs) This was going to be a standalone thing, and the idea was to immerse it in the culture of Halloween, even though the the date of Halloween really is incidental.
1: No, I mean, it wasn't supposed to be on Halloween originally. It was called The Babysitting Murders. Yeah. It was, was, uh, you're earning your blondes who decided to bring it on on Halloween because nobody had made a movie about Halloween specifically.
2: Yes, that's that's how Halloween really began in the seventies or when you blondes of comp- compass pictures, he was looking to make movies. Like like any film does filmmaker or film studio does. Looking to make movies, he had this idea in his head about a killer stalking babysitters. Yeah. You know, something very common back then. We had this discussion a while ago. Is babysitting even still a thing? i still say it is to some degree. Yeah. You'll call your family more than any the kid down the street nowadays than anything. Yeah, but I know friends who still, or at least
1: like their first job was babysitting. Yeah. So even like outside the family. I mean, it's not as, it's rarer today than it was back then. So.
2: So he got the idea for that, wanted to set it on Halloween. So looked up. In uh, movies, if there was ever a movie called Halloween, and apparently there was none. Uh, I've looked up on IMDb, and apparently there is. I don't know if they were short films or whatever, or just something that was lost to time. Right. And no one would really keep a record of. But mm. this is the first you know, major motion picture just called Halloween. Um, Irwin found John Carpenter, who was fresh off of Assault on Precinct 13, trying to make his way, and realized that he had a hell of a talent. He could, he could make He could make masterpieces out of practically nothing. Yeah, like his, cheaply. His movies are cheap and very low budget, but they look great. He knows, he knows how to make a lot out of a little. That was the thing that really attracted you Blond's to him. Yeah. And Carpenter's idea, I don't know if we discussed this on the Black Christmas podcast we did, but you, you know more about it, right? He consulted the... Bob Lider. Clark, yeah,
1: because yes. he had really enjoyed Black Christmas when it came out in 1974, mm-hmm. and he asked him like, "Would you ever consider making a sequel?" And Bob, this like, had a loose premise for a sequel to Black Christmas that, that the idea would be that the it would open that the killer had been caught after the end of the first Black Christmas because the end of Black Christmas spoilers the killer is not caught. He's still alive and he's actually hiding on the attic with two bodies that have yet to have been discovered.
2: Consult our Anything Goes podcast on Black Christmas that we did in 2016.
1: Yes. Um, and so it would it would take place almost a year later. He, the killer would have escaped the mental hospital and he would come back to the sorority house on Halloween. And so, but Bob Clark never did anything with that idea. Your your Blondes came to, with Carpenter, with this with this idea of making a movie. And Carpenter just being that person who wants to get his name out there and wants to be, you know, to make movies fast and quick, said, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And people, like, I guess people have thrown shade at Carpenter from that, saying, like, oh, you ripped off Bob Clark. Like, Bob Clark did nothing with the idea. am not saying, I know I'm it's not, it's not being defensive on Carpenter's behalf. I just feel like Bob Clark didn't give a shit.
2: It was, just, it was just an embryonic idea that he that he told them, and apparently it wasn't something like, yeah, I can't wait to make this movie, and then Carpenter goes and makes it. No, yeah, you know.
1: I've had ideas for movies that are like, oh, that would be a surefire thing to make. A month later, I find out somebody's already made that. Like, ideas are not – ideas are, like, unless you, like, copyright or patent it, it's, they're just ideas. They're ether. Anything could happen to be done with them.
2: So, Well, regardless – regardless- all these elements were coming together at the right time because the the landscape of, like, horror movies and really America at the time was changing a lot. Yeah. Um, we're hor- post-Vietnam at this point. Horror had changed from all the old monsters of the 19th century yeah. and these big, you know, European Gothic environments to now being stuff, like, with real people of the day. Pretty
1: much starting with Psycho. It was kind of the birth of the modern horror
2: movie. Yes. Psycho moving into Nightmare uh, – no, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Yes can't speak. Yeah. I mean, there was no diff- one defined style for horror because no. you had your killers, slasher killers, you had your zombies, you had your cannibals. It moved from there to like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think of was the next major one. Yeah. A lot of them really Hills Have Eyes. Yes. We just finished watching Suspiria, that mm. too. Black-, Black Christmas was I would say was the biggest influence on Halloween. Halloween really stylistically, did, yes. Halloween really did take all these elements, and, and I'm not saying that any of these films aren't genre-defining classics. No, they are at all. It's just Halloween managed. Halloween managed to take it to the next level.
1: Yeah, it, it's the. I don't want to say like it peaked there, but no, it was just the pathophic- it kept Growing, yes. I mean, as a slasher movie, I think like like the slasher movie kind of peaked, maybe with a Nightmare on Elm Street. With just, like, pure of movie and, like, where you can go with that. And then you would get into further, then it just became sequels, and then you had to get into the meta-fiction of it, and that's what Scream and West Green's new Nightmare came along. But go on.
2: Basically, that's my point. The horror landscape was changing. Every time the bar was raised, something would very quickly come along and raise it again. Right. And Halloween really was the movie that raised it, like, I would say, to the top, where everything afterwards... Not everything, but most everything afterwards was an imitator rather than an innovator. And if it did innovate in one way, it was usually imitating in many others.
1: Yeah, I mean, Friday the 13th is a prime example of like, Halloween's big right now, let's rip it off. Sean Cunningham's words, so...
2: But I would also say the the reveal of Mrs. Voorhees as the killer was the innovator part where just some fucking insane woman with this fixated revenge on people... The same type of people that wronged her son, you know? Yes.
1: And so... But it I, had to imitate
2: Halloween in many other ways before it could get to that point.
1: Yes, and, and sometimes it imitates them in, in a poor fashion. Yeah. I mean, the one reason, like, a lot of the Friday the 13 has a lot of POV shots from the killer. However, in Halloween, as this movie opens, it's just back one... To
2: the, back to the opening. Yeah. After our trail-off.
1: Oh, no, no, yeah, but I mean, it's just... A trail-off
2: in the good territory.
1: Exactly. Uh, that we have a POV shot from somebody observing a uh, young girl and her boyfriend making out on a couch. And this camera goes out from, from behind the bushes from the side of the house, looks up, out, up to the second floor window where the girlfriend and boyfriend went. Light goes off. We have a stinger. Now – Music stinger. Yeah.
2: Not a neck injury.
1: Yes. <laughs> that 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 musical note, I remember hearing once when I was in high school and I'm going down to the main office of – of uh, I of what reason I was going down there. And i was walking down like this kind of – because the hallway kind of narrows before it ends up into this kind of uh, an octagon shape of where all the main offices of where the, the head of the high school is. And I just heard that behind me and it scared the shit out of me. And I just had to, I slowly looked over my shoulder and like nothing was there. I do not know why my mind made that noise go off in my ears.
2: It's so effective because going back to the genius of Carpenter uh, with his mu- the music score – that stinger hits and then it sustains a minor second interval for quite some time pretty much throughout the entire rest of it even with some piano keys exploding over- like T- like the-, T- the minor second interval is when you take two notes that are next to each other like consecutively next to each other right and you hit them together um, in music so quick music theory lesson intervals are considered the distance between each notes you have many different ones that depending on from where your originating root note is, the next one and the one after that, the one after that, the one after that are all considered intervals for one another. And going, when you play notes, going from one to the next all produce many different sounds. For forever, pretty much, since the the dark ages, the tritone Mm -hmm. has, which is like a sixth, what the fuck is it? I think it's like, I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly how many off the top of my head. If I had a guitar on me, I would know, but... but Is it three? No. Okay. Because minor second is one step, one half, because it's half steps and whole steps. Right. I'm sorry. This is why I dropped out of music theory college, because <laughs> <laughs> of this bullshit. But no, the tritone interval was considered the devil's note yeah. for the longest time. It was actually banned in the Middle Ages, because they believed it's summon evil. Me? Yeah, the tritone's all right. I think that calling it the most evil interval is horseshit. The minor second, I feel, is the most interval and ho- uh, the most evil interval, and Halloween is what proves that. Yeah. Um,
1: so we're saying is take the, those notes the, and then put it against Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. That's the, all I'm saying. No, take
2: the the mo- the f- famous riff from Raining Blood is a combination of minor second and tritone.
1: Several several combinations
2: of minor seconds and tritones. Huh. That's what makes it sound so dark. Curious. But that's the thing about intervals. When you play them together, not just one after the other, like... Dun, dun, it has to be together. It has to be together. That's what really produces the emotion to it. You have the major intervals, like your major second or major third. Those are the happy ones, like... Dun, dun, you know, dun. Minor ones are darker. Minor ones are usually darker, but the minor second I have found personally to be the most effective. If you don't fucking believe me, get out a keyboard, play one note... Play the very next key. It doesn't matter if it's a, one of the black keys. It doesn't matter if it's one of the white keys. Play the next one and then play those two together.
1: Gotcha. Huh. Now I'm just imagining a Vankman uh, bank just messing with the keys in uh, Danny's apartment. He's like, <estrybles> they hate it when I do this. <laughs> they hate it when I do this. <laughs> um and so the, the camera fall the POV goes from from the front of the house, to the back of the house, inside. And we see a hand after turning on light grab a kitchen knife from – a butcher's knife from uh, a drawer. And I find it funny because like as we were shot an anamorphic widescreen, anamorphic has a little problem like shooting things in close-up. So you see uh, how out of focus it is because it's so close to the camera because it's been focused to infinity at that point. Like the hand's out of focus. The knife's out of focus. The camera goes through the house. We see the boyfriend leave after being a two, uh, two-pump jump. I mean, I don't think the flash I don't even that. think he
2: got two pumps, man. I think that, he, I think that she just like, – I think that, that guy was actually Jason Biggs in American Pie. She just touched his leg in that <sighs> was a, And how he, quick he, that was. And he,
1: he was so freaking proud so, of that, too. Somebody
2: terror. timed it. It was like a minute and 16 seconds.
1: And he was like, yeah, I cried him up. Yeah, he wasn't like a parasitist. Hey, like yeah, he yeah, was yeah. – she did not have a good night. And no. it's about to get worse because the camera goes up the stairs – we see a clown mask on the floor.
2: And then Stretch Armstrong arm reaches out to get it.
1: <laughs> go, go, Gadget arms! And so now we're seeing the, the mask POV uh, goes into Judith Myers' On, on TV speaking.
2: broadcasts, the eye holes are a lot thinner to the point where you can barely see anything. Because not only is it 4x3 pan and scared, but now they've made the eye holes a lot thinner. So you practically have... No fucking screen realty whatsoever to hide out the nudity we were about to see in the blood. They didn't. They didn't just blur out her breasts. No, they went the extra uh, on TV. They went. To, this was this was the old days of TV censorship where they have to try and change it rather than just blur something out or cut it out. Right. So they want to make. They want to make you subcon- think that oh, there wasn't actually anything there when they make it so obvious. Right. Watch some old TV dubs of RoboCop censorship. Uh-huh. When the you burn,
1: you burn the freaking money. When the
2: room audio changes, when Bob Morton says, "I really love that guy."
0: Yeah,
2: um, this echoey reverby, like warehousey laboratory, is now completely pristine with no reverberation in his voice whatsoever. That's why I
1: find funny, like when the Coen Brothers did of uh, The Big Lebowski. Because uh, they knew cause how heavily
2: sensitive it can going to have to be for TV. That's what happens but, when you find a stranger in the Alps. Yes. <laughs> Which I think is what my – Just don't put it on TV at that point. If you have to do that much work, just or put it on after hours and advertise it as something you shouldn't be watching.
1: No, but I mean I guess at that point they're like, no, because we want to get the most revenue out of it. So the hand stabs Jews to death goes downstairs and a, a pair of parents come out of a car and approach the camera and they say Michael and reveal that it's a little kid in a clown costume and we get their only crane shot in the movie where the crane just kind of backs up and booms away
2: from them because they could barely afford the crane
1: yeah it's probably because I think wasn't it the last day of shooting the last was... day of shooting the whole thing because they had
2: to ni- make the house look nice again
1: yeah because it was shitty for the the entire rest of the production
2: they, they found it shitty they had to make it look nice then re it I think
1: okay and, of course, the last day she was like, oh, it's the only day we can afford a crane. And I love how the mother is kind of just – just like, ah, like, She's so like, like, what do you do, Michael? She's not even upset. Like, the father is genuinely concerned. The mother's just annoyed by They're him. they
2: both, like, kind of freeze frame, though. Maybe yeah. that's where Rob Zombie got the idea to freeze-frame everything in the remake. That's true. And so – Cut to 15 years later. No, I
1: mean, it, That opening shot was actually three shots stitched together in quick editing. Uh, one is when they put the mask on and one is when the camera's going from Upstairs, and it whip pans across the – going downstairs as a
2: cut there. Very turnaround – very quick, like, turnaround. It,
1: the camera does a 180 to go downstairs.
2: And since it's dark in the main hallway, they make the cut there right. seamlessly.
1: And so, yeah, then we cut 15 years later. We
2: see Dr. Lewis played by Donald Pleasance. Great Donald Pleasance, who, uh, who, whose uh, fee for – what was it? Five days' worth of work? It was like 125000 No, no 25000 $25, That's $25, right. The budget was originally $300,000. They got uh, – Compass got Mustafa Akkad. To finance it, he was financing a, a time Lion of the Desert, this movie, which costs like $300,000 a day, he said. Right. And the whole movie was being just for $300,000. And that was pretty much what convinced them to give John Carpenter any creative control he wanted to. They said if you could make it for that much, you could have whatever you want. You, so, name of the, the title, final title, cut,
1: uh, shot in anamorphic widescreen, because was go. expensive. And the prints were done by Metro Color because they were the best at the time of color timing.
2: Um, and then we have uh, the nurse with them. Uh, the nurse... only thing lacking, though, from a technical standpoint, I feel, is that I wish they, sh- they recorded it in stereo. At, it was at a least. mono mix. It was a complete mono mix because he went so many miles visually to make it look like this killer could be anywhere. You've got to have that sound in there, too.
1: I think it's where, I guess, where the um, faults of the original, I guess, prints I guess are made or the original dub or the original production The original
2: production, really, because it was filmed entirely in mono. Like, there are multiple... Usually, back in the day when these films would come out, you would get different prints for different markets, but different prints for different type theaters. Some theaters that weren't equipped for major stereo setups or some kind of surround setups would get a mono print. I think Star Wars had like three different sound prints. That makes like sense. Like six channel audio, stereo, and mono.
1: And imagine what the 70 millimeter prints must have been in. I Apple. think those
2: were the six channel ones. Okay. But we were we come for this because we were just watching the the recent uh, December 2017 release of uh, Suspiria on Blu-ray by Synapse Films. By Synapse Films, where they went back, they found the original 4.0 surround sound mix and remastered it at, at like an incredibly high sample rate. That pretty much, if you if you don't have a sound system that could do 96 kilohertz, you're you're missing out, man. But just the fact that back then that that uh, audio mix was lost for so long because not many theaters were equipped for a full surround sound mix mono was still very much the standard mm-hmm. but I wish Carpenter would have at least gone for stereo
1: I mean I, I know that Cameron did that for the Terminator to save costs for a mono mix because it would be less expensive because that was also a, a low budget shoot for the things they wanted To accomplish on like a four to six million dollar budget making a sci-fi action movie at the same time
2: though the terminator wasn't the killer that's going to sneak around the dark he'll come up to you and fucking blow you to hell yeah but there didn't need to
1: but i also think the terminator is the greatest remake of halloween i guess i mean because there's so many elements of like how there was a video that said, like, 24 Reasons Why the Terminator is
2: similar to Halloween or this, like, copy moments from it. Um, I've had more dreams of being killed by the Terminator than Michael Myers.
1: Yeah, you told me your nightmares. Like, some
2: grisly nightmares I've had where I am, like, brutally and disgustingly murdered from scenes from the Terminator that weren't even that bad in the actual movie.
1: <laughs> I'll get into my nightmares for when that happened about Terminator 2, was happening happened recently with a certain uh, election. But, um, and so... Dr. Loomis and Nurse Chambers? Yeah. Uh, there's Marion Chambers, yes. Marian They're
2: tra- going to go pick up Michael Myers for his court date. He's now 21 years old. It's 15 years later. He, you know, he's being tried as an adult at the age of 21. Going to pick him up. Um, From they, Smith's Grove Sanitarium. Yep. Discussing just – Dr. Loomis is basically just discussing like how he just wants this guy put away forever. They're going to like give him Thorazine during the freaking trial just to keep him drugged up and doped up. Because they to convince everyone that he's dangerous, you know, Loomis is just scared of him. He he doesn't believe he's establishing to us that he doesn't believe Michael is human anymore. That yeah. whatever human part was in him died, and that he's just a monster that needs to be put away forever. Upon arrival at Smiths Grove, they notice all the patients are walking around in the field, and this, this is a horrible rainstorm in the middle of the night or early in the night. We don't know what time it is. Yeah, but. You know, Loomis goes up – he parks the car, goes up to the front gate, looks – finds a phone off the hook and poor, leaves poor Marion in the car by herself. At which point we see a figure jump up on the back of the car and is on top of it knocking around. Uh, Marion opens the window and this figure attacks, you know, and grabs you grab her. she's
1: grabbing her hair and she rams on the gas and, yep. and kind of careens off the road into a ditch. She starts – she gets away from the, the steering wheel and she crawls to the other side of the car. And behind her, the, a the hand, hand, hand with a wrench. T- a t- with t- with t- a wrench
2: tape because it, it was the 70s. Yeah, <laughs> to, to break
1: the candy glass, I guess, that yeah. on there.
2: Shatters the window. Well, not shatters, but breaks the window behind her. She dives out. This person dives in and Loomis knows immediately it's Michael and he's just escaped. Someone who he had said earlier hasn't said a word for 15 years. Michael Myers has spent 15 years in an insane asylum just sitting there staring out the window. And one night, you know, he decides to strike and get away.
1: Yeah, he just drives away, and then he's like, the evil is gone, and he and he's like, i got to call somebody, and he just leaves. And Marion's just trying to catch her breath while she's just sitting in the rainstorm. Cut to back to Haddonfield the following morning on ha- and Halloween. It is now Halloween morning. And my God, does Pasadena, California look beautiful?
2: Yes, this movie was shot almost entirely in Pasadena. There were very few areas, basically on the outskirts of it, but still in the general Hollywood Pasadena area. And convincingly,
1: with the exception of a few moments, looks we see like palm trees. And, yeah we see palm trees in the background and in the foreground. At one point, when we go in front of the Myers' house, everything else it does look like it's in the it has
2: Yes, it has a very suburban feel. There's a lot of old houses, which I, I feel really add to the look. Because if you go, nowadays, like you look at all these, like how how nice houses are now. But if you go into like a really really old looking house, there's almost a, there's like a, a primalness to it. I think of like because I I grew up with my great aunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, she passed away in her eighties. She was in her sixties, mostly. When, mostly when I remember growing up, and we go visit some of her old friends and whatever, because she was taking care of me. Because I was little, and I just remember be, just being fascinated by some of these like old houses. I had this. I don't I, want. I don't want to be elder shaming right now, but they had this like almost haunted house atmosphere. Them they had that formaldehyde smell of death that old people have. But just, there was just something fascinating about them. About just about that old style decor.
1: Yeah. And so we're introduced to Laurie Strode played by Jamie Lee Curtis and that she is going on her way to school. She has to drop a key off at the Myers house. that father is a realtor. Father's father is realtor, Strode Realty. On her way to the house, she meets the kid that she's babysitting, Tommy. Uh, Tommy Doyle. Uh, Tommy Doyle. And he's like, "What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I got to drop something off at the Myers house. You can't go up there. that's a spook house."
2: Uh, look, he's not being racist. It, yeah, I was just
1: saying, um, it's a haunted
2: house. It's it, it the
1: haunted house in every neighborhood in America. Yes,
2: we're all meant to believe that there's that one house in the neighborhood. Oh, the old. From, I remember there was one. Oh, the old man lives there. He sucks. Don't stay away from that house. Yeah. You know,
1: old man Marley lives there. Old man, a, whatever.
2: He's he's an asshole. He'll he'll chase you out with his rake or whatever. Right,
1: and so. Lori goes up, she drops the key off. Little does she know that there is an occupant in the Myers house.
2: Yes, which we see.
1: Uh, with a music, another stinger where he pops up in the foreground when she's running at, running into the background. She says goodbye to Tommy. She walks down the street slowly, and it's a long lens shot, and she's walking further and further in the background. That's Singing what, to herself. And a, a shape comes into the foreground, and we're just watching over his shoulder as we hear his breathing, and she just keeps going and going on board, and then the shape just walks away.
2: And that's what he's identified as in the script: the shape. They do practically everything, even in their own script, which no one, no one watching the movie is going to see.
1: Yeah.
2: Until the thing called the internet was created, but they do everything. The fascinating. They I do read. everything to communicate to you that this is not a human you're dealing with anymore. Right. You're dealing with some force.
1: It is primeval. It, yeah. it is elemental. It is something that is not it's not man that's for sure it may, back, bo- it may be in the it may be the personification of a man
2: right now yes. but it's in the form but yes. it isn't i mean going back to the house like it is become fucking iconic at this point there was it was a guy in like westford was it virginia or north carolina the guy that had his house built from scratch as an exact replica of the Myers house was it north carolina south carolina <laughs> north somewhere carolina, in the yeah so somewhere in, in the southeastern south, yeah. america um if you play the game dead by daylight Currently out on PC, PS4, whatever, they have the Halloween expansion where they have the Haddonfield map. The house from the outside, I, I've, I've seen a Let's Play of it. The house from the outside looks pretty spot on. They even have the stored Realty sign and the pumpkin. But once you get inside, it's kind of generic oh, okay. looking. They kind of screw up a lot of things.
1: Unlike the Minecraft. Uh, but ready. that's the thing, though. I'm a...
2: That's what movies like this do to you. You obsess over them. You obsess over every detail because every single detail is a part of what makes it so special to you. I recreated the Myers my- House in Minecraft to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. It's on Xbox 360, so unfortunately, I can't make it public or whatever. I'm going to try and do it again mm-hmm. as they update it. Um, I did it. I feel to the best of my ability because the thing with Minecraft is that the blocks that you use are, are to build things are much bigger in square, square, di- you know, length, width. Yeah. And depth than actual walls. I I, I saw I, I actually looked up online like what what it would be the real world size of a single block in Minecraft, and someone said that they do it in square meters instead of feet. Oh, okay. So the house the house is that I made bigger. It's not that it's bigger. It's that the inside is a little less roomier because the walls are so much thicker. Gotcha. <laughs> you have less physical space inside. But when I play it, when I look at it, when I and I sit there and I do like the the whole recreate the whole opening, walking around into the house and everything, and it feels very close. (laughs) This is how ingrained in your fucking brains this shit gets, people.
1: (laughs) So, after The Shape leaves, watching... um... The house
2: is now no longer in that same spot in South Pasadena. They actually moved it to the end of the road. Right. uh, On the... Across the street to the right of the uh, hardware store, which we'll mention. Yeah. Since this was all in South Pasadena, I I don't know how much they were trying to really give you the notion of a small town, but... The shooting area that they did was really small when you have the Myers House at the end of the road of another, you know, uh, location.
1: I mean, it's cost-effective. it's cost effective. So, like, once you're like, all right. Yeah. It was like, all right, we'll just grab all of our shit and
2: move down the street. And after looking at what they – because they, they moved that one house, tore down all the houses. A resident actually bought the house for a dollar because it was supposed to be torn down and managed to move it because it actually did have a very historical significance. That house was built in the 1860s. No shit. 1860s or 18 fuck. if you watch horrors hollowed classic horrors hallowed grounds right that show starring uh, Sean Clark where he v- revisits classic like horror movie locations they interview the 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 owner of it that bought it and moved it
1: now is that on the shop Factory blu-ray of it that is
2: that is actually the extended version on the on the um, 25 years of terror documentary from 2006 mm-hmm. they actually have the original cut of the episode but this one that's on the Shout Factory Blu-ray box set—I don't know if it's on the ten-disc one or if it's only on the the bigger out-of-print fifteen-disc one. Right. On the the uh, last disc, but they have an extended interview with the guy, and he shows an actual picture of it from the like late 1800s when it was built.
1: No shit. Yeah. And so the next scene is when uh, Loomis is still at the institution at daytime, and he's leaving. Where Doctor Win, the run, the person who runs the sanitarium,
2: is- but we don't really know. We just know he's a do- he's yeah. Doctor Wynn. We just know he's another doctor alongside there, someone of like his superior. I mean, we'll we'll get into the we'll get into Doctor Win when we get into the cluster fucked that is Halloween Six. Don't right. worry about him. But he's ba- basically Loomis arguing with another doctor. For me, every freaking scene. There's not a single wasted moment. In this freaking movie. Every scene communicates you something. It's now everything Loomis was talking about in the car on the ride over. Now he's a, now he's getting into it with his superior saying, I warned you people. Loomis – really showing that Loomis is the only one that understands what the hell is going on. Right. And uh, nobody believes him. How – oh, if he was that dangerous, why didn't you say anything? And Loomis basically reiterating, I told everyone. Loomis spent 15 years warning everyone. We're, we're really getting – every time we see Loomis on screen, we're getting more and more of – the understanding of what Michael Myers really is. That's why I feel it's great that they space out Loomis's scenes. I mean, it also... They kind of had to because they only had Donald Pleasence for five days. Yeah. So that's why Dr. Loomis, even though he is such a major part of this, there are large gaps where he is not in the movie. Right. His scenes are very short but to the point.
1: And he gets so agitated and so... Um energetic about trying to explain himself that he comes off like a madman. So that's why brought, nobody took him seriously for
2: years. And apparently Michael, until Michael finally broke out and he was proven right. And apparently Michael Myers knows how to drive. And again, showing he's this force of nature. And I love, I we love to see figure shit out just by watching it.
1: And another reason why I love this, scene it's applicable to many of the scenes, in this movie. Is that it's all done in one take. It's one panic glide and shot. And what I mean by panic glide is that there was the, the invention of the steady cam was out by this point. But since Carpenter loves shooting in Panavision and Anamorphic, and Panavision um, is, doesn't sell their gear. It's a rental house only, and they like to make their own versions of it. Like they'll, they'll Panavise something. And so the Panaglide was their iteration or their version of the Steadicam. And they use the two great effects. Other than the, they have the opening, there's the. There's this scene where it's just the, the Wynn and Loomis leave the, the sanitarium. They go down the little way and they get to Loomis's car. He gets in the lead. It's all done in one take. And since they're moving and they're yelling at each other, the scene flies by. And there's another scene later on with Loomis that we'll get into in a moment. But afterwards, we cut back to Haddonfield. And- well, throughout,
2: now throughout the day, Laurie is basically, you know, seeing Michael there. So it's like basically she, she's in school kind of daydreaming like she's a great student. She's a great kid, but she's kind of in her own world. A lot of times she looks out the window. There he is. And she f- feels like, you know, like something's off. Like, like it, it's not something you see every day. Some creep in a fucking mask staring at you through the window, like perfectly still from far away. Sure. It
1: is Halloween. It could be somebody playing a trick on you. However,
2: it's very creepy. And they choose, as we said earlier, not to get up close and really show you, Michael. Yeah, it's he's all still from her very point of view. much her point of view in the background. You know, it, it. she looks out, cuts to him staring there, cuts back to her, looking out the window, kind of curious, cuts to a little A, a, little, t- closer a little bit tighter
1: <laughs> shot. Until,
2: her, you know, her teacher calls on her for a question. She answers it, looks back, he's gone. Him and his car are gone. Same thing happens to Tommy a little later on. He's getting picked on by school bullies. He's got this big pumpkin. They, you know, trip him and break it. Talk about the boogeyman coming to get him. And when the main bully runs away, there he is at the schoolyard, grabs the kid. The kid just stares at him and runs off, and he slowly... Is you know just watching Tommy walk away, following him, very creepy. Yeah, and the whole time, and I attribute this to Nick Castle, the man in uh, the man behind the mask. He's back. He's back. The man behind the mask. I right? know wrong franchise. Who played Michael Myers primarily in the movie? He has this rhythm about how he moves and how he does everything.
1: And like his father was very a, sleek. Yeah, and his father was a choreographer for uh, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire, and so a use of movement and knowing how to use your body to convey yourself and like how to articulate yourself i think either i don't know if he like he showed his son something or just like it's part of their dna we do not know that he just walks and he's such a, it's so subtle he he doesn't lumber he doesn't like speed walk or he's not stomping he's just walking but there's something magnetic there's about a lot it. of
2: hand motion too like usually when he's walking across like something he'll usually put his hand on it, move around it, like run it over yeah, al- like the bars or a tree later on when he's stalking them. That's what I tried to do when we filmed our Halloween movies. Yeah. When I get out of the car I I put my hand on the door and sort of like slide it around like him and when I get back in at the end after I you know have killed after after we have killed our friend Alex. Yes. I get a hand on the steering wheel, look over, slide the hand down to the paper, hold it up with both, and then slowly put it down. He uses he he, he really does use every limb mm-hmm. Very subtly, yes, it's there. There's something about this, almost robotic,
1: right? And but, the two of two my favorite shots in the scene is the opening shot. Is it's just like the, it's outside the school on the sidewalk, and it dollys across the um, tracks, right f- across the frame, and across the um, fence, and looks down the uh, walkway into the school. And then it's the final shot when we, the, Michael's gone back in his car, and he's following along Tommy as he's walking down the sidewalk outside the school. And the camera's in the back seat, and it's just like, it goes, it kind of pans to like an over-the-shoulder, looking over the shaped shoulder while the camera's in, not in the trunk, I should say, not the back seat. And then it pans right to see Tommy walking alongside the car, and Tommy's not to a...
2: He's too bummed out that his big pumpkin's broken.
1: By the bullies, and hopefully the and bullies... said. Hopefully the bullies shit himself when Michael's grabbed him. Um, and so then Michael pulls away. We see Loomis again outside, about... I forget how many miles we're on some town.
2: some miles. He basically he basically I don't know if he stopped to take a leak or whatever. or He stopped to call the police. Try, again, trying to plead with people that this dangerous killer is fucking on his way. Yeah, of course nobody believes him. Um, he inevitably turns around. He notices something on the corner of his eye. This big red like g- garage truck He goes over to it and finds the uh, what was it the asylum uniform or like whatever the, that Michael like the, was uh, wearing? Like the
1: uh, patient, like you, or like the it almost looks like. Garbs or something
2: like that. What's the thing they make you wear in the hospital where your butt hangs out?
1: Oh, um.
2: The thing you wear in a hospital where your butt hangs yes. out. He finds out a the place and then he finds a matchbook that Marion had in the car and he knows Michael stopped, took the, you know, stopped, ki- probably killed this guy and Would took you, off.
1: Well, we did not see, he we, does not see. He does
2: not find the body. As Loomis runs away, it pans right and there's the dead truck driver in, yeah. the, in the brush behind it. Right.
1: And I love the fact that, like, when because Loomis is in a, f- a phone booth while he's talking presumably to Lee Brackett or a police officer, he hangs up the phone and a train comes down. The there's the, a the train tracks parallel to the scene. I think the reason why they use this take is because a train goes through the scene, so it adds more production value. Even though you do see a crew member in the reflection you know, of, the, I don't
2: notice it. I never noticed it.
1: Not not until Blu-ray that we didn't notice it. And you he, hell, we even saw it on the big screen. And we didn't notice it. Yeah. We saw a digital presentation of it, but we never noticed it. Yeah. Um, and so after that, uh, we see a high school that's definitely not in the Midwest because it has outdoor uh, fucking lockers. Yeah. It's it, California, th- folks, Yeah, yeah there's
2: no way Illinois would have outdoor lockers. But we go back to Lori, who's now joined by her friends, Linda and then Annie, you know, walking home from school, doing the whole girl talk thing. PJ Souls and.
1: PJ Souls and
2: Nancy Loomis, respectively. respectively. Um, most of this dialogue was written by Deborah Hill, the producer. She, I believe she was married to Carpenter at this point, right? Right? Uh, or did they get married afterwards. Afterwards. Okay, afterwards. Deborah Hill, you know, a pioneer for women in movies, sadly not with us anymore. Right. Um, but that Deborah Hill was also in the opening. She was Mike because she's a very she was a very petite lady, so yeah. she had small hands. So she basically was the stand-in for Michael's hands in the opening shot when he's pulling the knife out of the drawer when he's stabbing his sister to death.
1: And, um, and she also plays Michael uh, later on. One scene
2: and one, like, pickup shot when Tommy's yeah. looking out the window. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. But anyway, the girls are walking home, you know, doing the girl talk thing. And then Michael drives by, still stalking them. Lori knows that, like, something's up. She's, like, she notices this from earlier. The girls don't think much of it. They think it's just one of the, like, schoolmates just being a weirdo or whatever. As they get back, you know, uh, Linda – yes, Linda gets – back to her house and as Annie's fumbling through her books, further down the street there's the infamous hedge scene. Yeah. Where there's Michael standing right next to a very large, tall uh, hedge bush. She's just looking at it and then he walks away, but he walks behind the hedge and walks away. But Annie doesn't notice this. Lori's the only seems to be the only one that notices that something is right. weird. And then she's
1: kind of like a social outcast anyway, so she's kind of like, and everybody thinks that she's kind of crazy or just weird at this point. He just thinks that
2: she's like the weird chick that just needs a boyfriend. Yeah. And, um, and, he, and he goes back there to, to see what's up, and then, of course, there's nothing.
1: There's, there's John Carpenter's cigarette smoke. Uh, except John
2: Carpenter's cigarette smoke, which got on camera. I don't know yeah. why they didn't use another take or if they just didn't pick up on it until after it was out.
1: Right. Right. Um, but like going back to when the, when Michael drives by in the car and this what terrify me is because Annie yells something as she says, like, yo, speed kills. Hey creep, speed kills. And, and he, he slashes screeches the, the brakes and like not gore or anything, but just stopping your car, just sitting there
2: is terrifying. And it makes you think like, oh shit, is this guy going to finally like strike? Did they piss him off? Did they set him off? And he just drives away. Now I wonder, would he
1: have done anything if
2: Annie didn't say anything? Probably not. Cause he probably noticed who they are, where they were going. I'm sure he, knew. you know, he seemed to know his way around Haddonfield, even though only being six years old when he was last there. Yeah. I I think he would have gone on to his next stop, you know, waited for them to stalk them. Mm -hmm. But... I mean, the point is, like, he has this fixation on Lori, and she seems to be the only one that notices.
1: Right. And nor do you – you, you didn't need a seven-foot
2: man standing in the middle of the street to scare them. No, you didn't need that, standing in the middle of the road. That's what they should have had in not outtake. It's just somebody behind him honking their horn. Move, asshole! <laughs> They're yeah, like, It's like,
1: like, where? where, Like, where? It's the, the giant that's in the middle of the road. Anyway, we'll get to that later.
2: I mean, hear Andy say, hey, my daddy's the sheriff. Like <sighs> ugh. And so, Lori and goes home. Lori gets home. Annie goes home. Lori gets home. She sees a bunch of kids, you know, walking around trick-or-treating and tries to snap herself out of it, thinking that she's just she's just being paranoid or whatever. Gets up to her room where there's a hair stuck in the lens. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Blu-ray. Yeah. She's kind of, she seems a little flustered from the day. Looks out her window, and there, Michael is standing in her fucking, ba- no, standing in her neighbor's backyard, which, she, riddles. Has a, which she has a view of, from uh, amongst his laundry, amongst, yeah. amongst his clean whites. Yeah. And then she's standing there. She's still staring at him, and then he, like, almost disappears. Like, evaporates. Instantly. Like, she blinked and he's gone. She was and so she, flustered, she, she freaking let go of her window, and it fell down in front of her. And she's, like, well, like, she's really starting to get kind of spooked at this point. Like, something's wrong.
1: Yeah. She gets a phone call. Phone
2: rings. Doesn't hear anything except, like, some weird noise in the background. She's very scared at this point. Hangs up. The phone calls back. It was actually Annie, who was just eating. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
1: Have you so, ever done that? Like you call someone while mid-chewing, and then you, somebody picked up a- accidentally, or anything no, like that? No, I yeah. usually
2: save it. For, I usually the worst idea was just say something funny over the phone. Okay. I don't know, but um, yeah, again, there's this thing that like sort of snaps her out of it. You know, her friends that like she's all she's just paranoid and crazy about this, but then her friends manage to snap her out of it. Right. So Andy later is coming by to pick her up because they're going to be babysitting. In um, but before that, uh, we cut to the cemetery. Where oh, yes.
1: Loomis has arrived and he wants to check something out. Another long take where it just follows Loomis and the caretaker goes across the cemeteries. The caretaker's
2: telling them a story, a related story that happened in another town. Because you know every small town is like the, the weird thing that happened. Yeah.
1: One controversial story. They get to a grave that's missing. And then he's like, well, "Whose grave is it?" And then he does this count. Like it's actually the grave that that Loomis is looking for. Judith Myers that it's confir- gone.
2: That confirms to Loomis that he's back because Ju- the the grave of Michael Myers' sister is missing. Yes, the headstone is missing.
1: And so, while we then we cut to Annie and uh, Laurie on the way to, on the way
2: to work, and they're smoking a joint. They're on their way to go babysit. You yeah, know, do their thing. Um, Laurie has a big pumpkin for Tommy because she, she's, she's the good girl. I uh, listened to a little Blue Oyster Cult at that point. Yeah. And they decided to smoke a quick doobie in the car. It was right. the 70s. They called them doobies. Yes. Um, this is also another retardedly oh, – can I say that word? All right. This is another foolishly dumbass moment of, of movie censorship on television where they basically make it out to be a cigarette. Because the, there, there was another line of audio. Well, you know, when you, if you don't smoke cigarettes regularly, you'll cough just because of the fucking carcinogens in them. you got to yeah. build up the tolerance. They basically cut to – they cut out the part where Annie goes, my dad, because originally Annie notices her dad as they're pulling up towards a hardware store, mm-hmm. not noticing that Michael Myers is following them. She, right. up, she yells out, my dad, like get rid of this, Lori. Mm-hmm. Stop coughing. Oh, my God. Basically, they change it to where they cut out the part where she notices that and then they just – immediately hard cuts to the that first-person shot of the windshield as they're pulling up and she goes, look, there's my dad. It's completely deadpan. Nothing. Made it out to be, it basically made it out to be like they were smoking a cigarette and not a joint, even though it clearly looks like a freaking joint. Yeah, because nobody it's, manufactured cigarettes with tan paper, tan rolling paper. Yeah,
1: and so they pull up to the hardware store. That the alarm is still going off hours later, despite the break-in. Yeah, it's another
2: one of your little your little you got guy worry about. It's yeah. there just to tell you that like you know, the the burglar alarm is going off at of this hardware store. The hardware store is currently now. Um, located to the left across the street of where the Myers house is. Right. So if you're watching this movie, there's like – there's a railroad that goes through. It's this weird, you know, X-shaped like fork in the road. Yeah. It's a weird X-shaped intersection. You have – It's like a four-way intersection? It's a four-way intersection with, it's four-way intersection with a railroad going across it. Right. So it's pretty awkward. I would hate to drive near it. But, yeah. But I would gladly in order to go visit that location. But if you're watching this movie now, when you see the first person perspective out of Annie's windshield, there's the hardware store on the upper left where they pull up to. Across the street on the right side, that is the new Myers house location.
1: Right, and there's palm trees in the background. Uh huh. Um,
2: well, it's forgiven.
1: Yeah. And so we find out there's some ropes, some knives, and a Halloween mask are stolen. And they're like, uh, her uh, her father, Lee, Bragg, at the chair, is like, Aren't you going to be late? And as the alarm goes off, so comedically making him sound like he's yelling at them.
2: It's comedy without being. Oddly forced.
1: Yeah, which I'm kind of concerned with Danny McBride being involved with Halloween, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so they pull away. Loomis uh, walks up to them, and so Loomis and Brackley are in the foreground, a two-shot, and, My- and Michael stops at the stoplight in the it's background. Not, it's not only a
2: weird intersection of roads, but a weird intersection of characters. Lori and Annie drive off from Sheriff Brackett just as Loomis is coming up. Loomis asks for a word with Brackett, and he just says, just give me ten minutes. And as Loomis is waiting, Michael drives right past him. Very much Doesn't like, notice him.
1: Yeah, very much like how they reference in the production of it is like, or the pre-production of It's kind of like a touch of evil because there's a lot of moments that have had things that, two stories going on in the foreground and the background, and it kind of plays into the making here. Uh, Annie and Laurie continue to discuss on the way to on the way to the houses and like, talking
2: more girl talk stuff while being followed. You know, talking yeah. talking about who, the inevitably late Ben Tramer. Maybe yeah. rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, if you ever watched the Cinema Snob in any of his Halloween reviews? You know that he has great respect for the late Ben, ben Tramer. Tramer.
1: <laughs> There's, uh, justice for Ben Tramer. Um,
2: Hashtag justice. Hashtag Ben Tramer's life matters. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're
1: completely unaware that Michael's following, and it is now nightfall. And Annie and Do- Annie and Lori are now babysitting at houses across the street from each other. And Michael goes to follow Annie to the. First. Uh, yes, to the. Uh, Wallace House. Wallace, Wallace res- residence.
2: Lin- Lin- uh, Annie is babysitting Tommy Doyle. And across the street, Annie is babysitting Lindsay Wallace, their right.
1: neighbor. Uh, then Lewis and Bracken go investigate the Myers house. And I love that. I love the shot of the opening scene where it's like it's the Myers house in the background, and uh, Brackett's car pulls into the foreground. and racks to the sheriff logo and it kind of booms up a little bit um, as they walk into
2: the house. They discuss that nobody's lived there since 1963 when it happened. Every kid thinks it's haunted, and it maybe maybe may right. They get in, they notice the body of a dog seems to be a dead dog. It's off camera, but yeah. they notice it. And Loomis says, "You know, he got hungry, so I guess he, he got hungry. Killed something." Bracket says no oh, man would do this, and Loomis reiterates this is not a man right finally, as they go upstairs to the room where it all happened, Loomis has a quick scare when a piece of gutter breaks the window right
1: revealing that he is, Loomis has a gun on he him. he has a
2: gun Brackett basically says like you seem like you're 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 really scared and he says he is, and he that's where he really fully finally explains his his history with michael we've spent all the time we've spent with Loomis prior has been a slow buildup of him just giving us a little bit of information a little bit of information. About why Michael is so dangerous, why he's scared. And finally, we get the whole thing basically saying how he, he met him when he was six years old and they was told there was nothing left. Blank, pale, emotionless face, blackest eyes, which he called the devil's eyes. The he
1: pretty much has his Indianapolis speech from Jaws at this moment. Yeah.
2: He did not, how the kid did not speak for 15 years. He told him he spent eight years trying to reach him and another seven trying to keep him locked up because he felt that what was living behind his eyes was evil. Simple. Yeah. Easy to the point it leaves a lot for your own imagination and bracket buys it bracket i'd say he buys it at that point he definitely knows that something's wrong he definitely knows that someone who committed this murder you know all these years ago and now broke out of a mental institution is something to be taken seriously yeah. but i don't know how he fully maybe it's his own disbelief that uh, of some of something that's more than man mm-hmm. i feel like he doesn't fully buy into it and and it shows every time he comes back to visit Loomis because Loomis opts to wait there for him to return. Which you did not enough fucking money in Fort Knox to make me do that. I don't give a shit who I am. Unless I'm there wearing like unless I'm there wearing like a suit of golden armor which is indestructible and impenetrable and he can't twist my head off because <laughs> won't let it there's no way in hell you would let me stay there. Turn the electricity back on this house. Let's get some lights in here before you do that. Yeah. I'm not freaking hanging around here waiting for a serial killer to... Return. Hey, he, he, He's he, he, not even a serial killer at that point, really. He's just a... A, a murderer. An escaped mental patient in his old house, which is now run down, dilapidated, and abandoned. And he's not going to wait in the house. He's waiting in the bushes
1: outside the house, looking like a creeper in his trench coat.
2: He starts off in the house with bracket leaves. He's still in there for a while. He probably looked around quite a bit. Yeah. Which, no. Yeah, no.
1: no. You don't know if he's still in there or not. <laughs> no. Sorry. Well, what was it um, – we played – was
2: it uh, a fan video game recently? This was – what was it, last year? Um, we played – back in like 2002, someone – there, there was a Halloween fan game that was being made. I could tell it was using an old uh, version of RPG Maker from back then because I own that version. It was incomplete. It was more of a demo at this point or an alpha version. Mm-hmm. I cannot find any evidence of its fricking existence on the internet. So I may have what may be the only download, sorry, the mm-hmm. only download left in existence of it, but it's a 2d overhead, you know, RPG style game, kind of like Zelda. Right. And they recreated a lot of the Myers house. There, there were basically three modes of play in there. There was the main story, which started you from Lori's approach to the Wallace house up to the end of the movie. Um, there was, like, a trivia mode, which actually had a really catchy MIDI version of Don't Fear the Reaper as the music. Nice. And there was an original thing where Loomis revisits the house a la, you know, pre-H2O. Okay. And they use a lot of sound effect samples from the movie, especially with... And the thing, oh, though, this, this, this little 2D, r- you know, pseudo-RPG established this amazing atmosphere of fear. Where, like you, like playing it. You're fucking terrified, and it's just it's like little Zelda sprites of yeah. like of uh, Michael Myers and Doctor Loomis, and you're fucking petrified playing this thing
1: to the point that we're playing it. we I'm watching you play it as you as and we was, play it in
2: the dark too.
1: Yeah, because we're dumb like that, and so and we're investigating the house. We're in the basement, and you just open one door and. <laughs> pew!
2: Kills sound you. sound effect, it kills you because you open the wrong door. I yeah. know we're supposed to, supposed to go down into the basement, find the uh, hidden area from Resurrection, yeah. and then have like a, a duel with Michael. I don't know if you can win it. Right. Because I remember we played the lorry section several times and I couldn't win.
1: Despite him being uh, stuck at one point.
2: Yeah, despite him being stuck behind, like, a chair. Yeah. Like, like freaking Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Atari 2600 <laughs> stuff. They still lost. Like I said, it was, this was an early alpha version. The intros to these sh- segments, god, fucking draconian lo- levels of long. <laughs> freaking prison sentences have been shorter than some of these intros. I, we it, had a birthday watching it. We happen. had a birthday watching it. And, and just, well, we entertained ourselves, <laughs> basically. Yeah, Totally.
1: Um, and so, back to Halloween, uh, we see that, um, Laurie, um, and Tommy are watching The Thing from Another World on TV, hint at what Carpenter will be doing later on in his career. Back
2: at the Wallace House, Lindsay's watching it, and he calls Laurie, Michael is still outside the Wallace House stalking Annie, it's, it's been made clear, Annie's kind of his first target. Yeah. At this point. Um... She, at one point, while carelessly making some popcorn butter in the old-fashioned days when you had to, like, heat up the butter in a freaking pot, I, yeah, she spills it on herself and then, you know, has to, like take off her clothes and change, and, and I mean, Nancy Loomis, we make the jokes all the time, she's way too skinny at this point, you can see her freaking spine yeah. sticking out when she when she takes her shirt off from behind, and it's like, oh my god, girl, have a sandwich, please. <laughs> I'm not body shaming you ladies, but it's just like, all of you understand there is uh, such thing as too skinny. Yes. Like, unhealthy looking skinny.
1: Yes, I've been there, and I'm that's why I'm putting on weight myself, um, and so... And Michael is watching from the back in the, the backyard and they're watching, I guess, so I like it's not a, it's not a sliding door, but it's like, it's, Kind of, it's swivel doors, but it's like a big piece of glass.
2: It's it's a a, glass back door that opens and closes. Yeah. Not a sliding glass door. And he
1: knocks over a potted plant that's hanging, and she's kind of spooked by it, but kind of just
2: weighs it off. Well, inside also, right before she spilled the butter, the family dog Lester is barking like crazy at the back door because he knows something out there, and he dismisses it, of course. Right. Which is another theme Carpenter went into how people not paying attention, not caring, just going off, doing whatever they want, having fun, are the first ones to get killed. Yeah. And the dog goes out to investigate and Michael kills the dog. Uh, kills the dog while Annie's trying to while Annie's trying to pour like baking soda on the stain to try and get it she just hears him, ah! And cut to Mike, cut to Michael basically holding the dog up, choking him, and the dog's body goes limp. This was actually played by a dog trainer. Yeah, who is they've shown stills of it. The dog's like arms were over the guy's shoulders. He was just holding it up by the dog's like armpits, yeah. and then just like the dog very slowly just lets his legs go mm. limp. But it was, no dog, no animals were harmed in the making of this. This is not cannibal Holocaust levels of low budget. Oh, no.
1: God, and so, and he goes to cleaner clothes.
2: And has goes to go into the, lo- the laundry room located outside when yeah. those things still existed.
1: Yeah, my. Uh, I... Thanks-
2: thankfully, this was past the era of the old outdoor outhouses.
1: Yes, <laughs> um, even those... my grandparents. Oh, didn't with have those a house.
2: wooden seats! Oh my God, getting <laughs> a splinter up there in the middle of winter. <laughs> Ouch! Uh,
1: even I, my grandparents didn't have like an outdoor like wash dryer. Like I mean, at least in the house that um, I knew them to be in. Like, I think years prior, when my parents were kids, they had like a, they had the same a very similar setup. And the shape of stalks her and watches her from outside, and she gets locked inside. And it's
2: such a it's such a slow, slow build, slow burn where Carpenter is putting you in this situation where it's like y- you know he's going to strike at any moment. You're fucking waiting for it. It's all it's like ripping a damn bandaid off. You just want to get it over with because it's going to hurt like hell as you slowly pull it off. You just want to rip the freaking thing off, but it's not ripping. No. You have shots of like you know the the door of the laundry room closing shut. It's another like glass glass panel yeah. door closing shut cuts to Annie who looks she looks away cuts back the door slowly goes open but Michael's behind it and there's like a little thin uh curtain very thin white curtain veil, f- in front of it. like veil type curtain in front of it while he's standing there and
1: that's like the, it's that's like the first moving. that's the first like close-up front-on shot of yes him, where we but see still
2: through still obstructed yeah so he's there we and the fact that he's wearing these navy blue coveralls that he stole from the the uh Garage guy wearing this white mask. He, his body blends in, but his face always stands out. It contrasts so much to the nighttime that we are in now.
1: Especially since when Dean Cundey like did the atypical like blue moonlight kind of feeling to it. I mean, like whenever I do blue lighting in my movies, uh, I would always like you could set the camera to tungsten and have the light the lights set to daylight, and so. Uh, the camera's a sensor makes it automatically blue. I don't know if he gelled it or did he was shot with tungsten film, but it definitely makes those scenes very effective. It
2: also communicates c- – because the bluer colors in color temperature are considered cool. Yes. Like on your uh, – you folks at home on your HDTVs, you have color temperature, whatever settings. There's the cool colors, which emphasizes blues, greens, purple stuff like that. It, I feel it also gives it a good sense of the time of year, fall. Yeah. It's cooler colors for a cooler weather period. All these things – Right. All these fucking things. Every aspect of the fucking film is, like, expertly crafted for nothing.
1: Um, Paul, Paul, Annie's boyfriend, calls. Lindsay picks up the phone, has to go outside and rescue Annie. Lindsay, from... Lindsay, who
2: spent the whole time zoned out in front of the TV.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, she's miles away like at that t-
2: boy. Like, like Jim Carrey and The Cable Guy when he was a kid, zoned out. Yes. Uh, rescues... She's going to go play Mortal Kombat with a friend in Thailand. Vietnam. Vietnam, was it? Yep. I thought it was Thailand. No, it was Vietnam. Fuck. All right, I've... I fucked up.
1: It's okay. But no, the funny thing is I I'm going to go rest- hang myself <laughs> in my creepy basement that we're in. All right, David Carradine, calm down.
2: i could do while jerking old. <laughs>
1: um, And so Lindsay rescues uh, Annie from who does a you –
2: know- locked, locked in the laundry room and then stuck in the window trying to climb out. And as, in another shot as the phone is freaking ringing, Annie can hear it and she's yelling for Lindsay, pick up the phone, it's Paul, worried about her boyfriend, and there's – We have a close-up of Annie through the window. She's looking at, but behind her, we see the other window at the other end of the laundry room. And there's Michael with his with his creepy, like dog slow head -head tilt, and what he's looking at. It's fucking with the with the music, the minor second shit in the background, unnerving you. And so, and then then the kid runs out to let her out, and you're wondering, oh my god, is he going to kill the fucking kid? Has he killed her already? You don't know what's going on. This is all just being. It's building up. But they're still alive. They're still alive.
1: <laughs> and, and, and he gets back in the house, and this is one of the creepiest moments of the movie for me. This is what I
2: was talking about earlier when I watched it for the second time on Encore, and me and my stepbrother were, like, freaking out.
1: Yeah. And so it's this scene's all done in one take as well, and he gets on the phone talking to Paul, which is voiced by John Carpenter. Um, the
2: back door is left slightly open.
1: And so she, and she walks from left side of the frame to the other, end, and the camera pans with him, and obscuring the background uh, momentarily. And so she goes and... She, she goes back but the conversation continues and Michael's all, is all of a sudden there when he wasn't.
2: Yes, she she's standing there in front of the door, nothing's outside the door. She walks to the left, the camera pans to the left. She walks to the right when the camera pans. Back there's Michael standing back there. That's what I was talking about earlier when my stepbrother and I were watching it and we just like freaked out at that point.
1: And then she goes back to the and left and there's a
2: little music clue and then she goes back and he's gone. Yeah. And on the on the Blu-ray on the uh, 40th what not, 40th, 35th anniversary Blu-ray you can actually see a little bit of Nick Castle's legs walking away for, like, a split second. Yeah, because he, he had to get out of the he he had shot, out of shot immediately.
1: Yeah. Um, and so she's like, I, she wants to get laid, and so she has to get rid of Lindsay. So she decides to convince Lindsay to go to Tommy Doyle's house and have Laurie watch her. And at that point, I'm like, if that's going to happen, if I was Laurie, I would demand her earnings for that night. Mm. If you were going to be left to watch that kid. That demands money. You're doing her job. Exactly. Exactly. And so Lori's being nice and agrees to it.
2: Well, um, she basically bribes her to say, you better talk to uh, Ben Tramer, who apparently Andy called when Andy was making the popcorn order, called, told told Ben Tramer that Lori liked him. And Ben Lori, Tramer, who we never see.
1: Yeah, and Lori's really embarrassed and doesn't want to talk to him or anything. So her
2: collateral is getting Andy to call Ben Tramer back and say she was only kidding.
1: Right. Which, I, like, if I'm going to be honest, I don't think she would have done. I think she would have still said- Oh, she up-
2: probably would have because she's a- Bitch,
1: <laughs> no, I'm saying like, she wouldn't. No, she wouldn't have called him back. She would have just let that play out. I know. Yeah, That's what I'm
2: saying.
1: Um, and so Andy goes back to her house, tries to get into her car to go pick up Paul. She goes back to the wall's house. The the car is locked. Yeah, she goes, gets her keys, and she's just kind of whispering, "When it's kind of like ah, it's quiet. It's all that sound." Singing to
2: herself. And the thing is, this is taking forever on purpose. Yeah, and you wonder. Every like, every like shot of her walking somewhere and then walking back and then doing this and she stops to check her hair for a little when she gets the keys. Yeah. It's all just taking forever because now she's alone in this area, no kid around, you know Michael's there. He's been after her for the past what, twenty minutes now? Yeah. And it, it's still it's building, it's building, it's building. And there's this insanely creepy atmosphere throughout the whole movie that is built on the slow burn.
1: She gets into her car.
2: Opens it not realizing for a second that the car was previously locked. Yeah. Gets in, the windows are all fogged.
1: Now, was Michael in there and he locked it when he got in?
2: I don't think so. I think he I think he got in. Maybe he had a slim jim on him. Okay. <laughs> he was he was driving a freaking government issued car. True. And so and she gets in the car and just realizes it's all fogged up, not sure why. And it's this wide shot of her in the front seat to the right. And the perspective of the back seat to the left. And then all of a sudden, you see this shadowy figure leap up. Not very slowly sit up, but leap up, grab her by the throat, and you have the music stab go in. And then I'm music- speechless. And then, then
1: the music <laughs> stops, and it's just in that sense of her being strangled. And him
2: grunting. Like, did Michael Michael was a little vocal in the first one. He had some mm. grunt, he- growl. Yeah, well, because like, he's...
1: Because he's exerting himself and trying to contain her and hold yes. her down. and then
2: savagely choking her. And then just one swipe. Pulls out – you see him pull out his other hand go up where the knife is. Whoosh, and then another, like, sharper, higher-pitched music stab because he slit her throat. Yeah. And she slumps down dead onto the steering wheel with the horn honking.
1: And then we just cut to the outside of the walls of house as the faded sound of the uh, horn just kind of dies away. And we cut back into the Doyle house – to, uh, that Tommy and Lindsay are watching uh, Forbidden Planet at this point.
2: Tommy um, wants to play a little trick on everybody, so he hides behind the curtain.
1: And Lindsay's, like, like we said, she's still unaware that he had
2: left the couch. He's just in oh, Lindsay! And as he looks around, looks out the window, he sees a figure carrying in Annie's body. Yeah, and then he's
1: like totally transfixed by this. Lindsay bumps into him. They both scare they each have, other. They have a
2: total freak out.
1: Lori comes in to try and calm him down, and and Tommy's repeatedly trying to say the boogeyman, the boogeyman's outside and he's coming from after the kids that who bullied him said the, bull, the boogeyman was coming out for him specifically. Tommy's pretty
2: much been obsessed with the boogeyman the whole night because he's scared of his freaking gourd. Right.
1: And then Lloyd puts a foot down. is like, all right, if, you, if you're not if you're not going to calm down, I'm have to turn off the TV and put you guys to bed. And he's like, nobody believes me. Lindsay says, I believe you. Nowadays,
2: a kid would just call you a fucking asshole. Yeah. And say, I want ice cream. And then you'd have to go get ice cream or else the parents would sue. Dude, I work in a school. That's true. I work in a school where a couple months ago, freaking one of the kids during recess hit one of the freaking paras, and the the uh, punishment was the para had to – the paraprofessional had to not be in the cafeteria with that kid from then on. Jesus. They punished, they punished the adult, not the kid who struck an adult.
1: And so we cut back to the Myers house. Loomis is in the bushes at this point. And the bullies, who were making fun of Tommy before, go up to the house and daring one of the kids to go inside the creepy old house on Halloween. It's more
2: establishing the Myers' house as this creepy haunted house, as if we haven't already. It's more of a reminder. And Loomis, this is probably one of the few times we see actually Loomis like kind of the fun side of Loomis, where he just tries to like scare the kids away. I mean, he's doing it all in good fun, but he's also doing it for their own safety. Yeah. Because you never know what's coming back.
1: And he's in the bushes. and he says, hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. And they all
2: just take off. And he has, he does see, he, he's proud of himself. He's he smirking. a smirk on his face. He's having a little fun. It's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's Halloween. Loomis himself is still completely all there.
1: Yeah. Uh, the sheriff bracket comes and scares him, and it's a jump scare, but it's, it's
2: not a false jump scare. It's not one of your bullshit modern jump scares where there's got to be some huge music stab, this no, overly produced music stab. Which, those music stabs work if it's a legit
1: scare. If it's not, if it, like, if there's an actual thing, like, leaping out at you, if, it, if it's from the monster. But if it's your friends, that's why I call it bullshit. I mean, like, if but like if it's like, like, like hey, what are you doing? Rather than, like, it is the monster. What are you doing? Yeah, but if, like, it was, if it's, like, the actual monster leaping at you and there's a music cue with it, I'm fine with that. Jump scares work as long as they're, they're earned. And so, and Brackett's like, I don't know about this. And he, I think you're way off in of this. And, and Lewis continues to prod along. Like, no, this is, I watched this guy for 15 years, and he's looking at the wall, not seeing the wall, looking past the wall, looking to this night. Inhumanly patient. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. And if you could help me stop it or suffer the consequences. It's much. at this
2: point where, like, the night is going very slow. Sheriff Brackett is starting to no longer really believe in the severity of this. Yeah, because nothing's happening, and Loomis is still trying to remind him. I do understand where Rob Zombie was coming from when he said in the original movie, Loomis is kind of just there to show, to, to give you spooky dialogue, and then he disappears. I mean, yes, part of that was a limitation of the filmmaking because Don Pleasance was only available, yeah, for a certain amount of time. But at the same time, at the same time, you need that to. I, I, I guess you need that for Loomis. I don't want to say you need that to give Loomis something to do. I feel like that's kind of the only scene where that's a little weak, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's like we're giving Loomis something to do. He's there to just tell us something we already know. Yeah, he's when,
1: reiterating
2: at this point. Yes, when before he was sort of giving us a little more each time we see him and a little more and a little more, and then it comes to the point where he he lets you know, the sheriff know. But you did, need, you did need some kind of break from what was going on at the two houses. I think
1: that's what the scene is for. I think it's meant to it, give a break and let that time last. Yes. Yeah. And so... I think it's a
2: victim of what else could... What could we possibly do? Yeah. But it's it's short. It's quick. It's to the point. Yeah. It's fine. And it shows you that Loomis is a human despite his ranting and ravings. And right. he likes to have a little fun messing with people, too.
1: So when we cut back to the wall of South, this is when Linda and her... And her oh, Linda Bob,
2: and Bob. In the fucking cliche van. You gotta love that 70s fashion, too, and hairstyle. Yep. Drinking and, beer, drinking while driving.
1: And then they... And did, that
2: generation complains about kids today.
1: Yes. <laughs> and so... They also talk about, like, well, first all, we'll go upstairs, I'll rip your clothes off. Like, don't rip my glasses, it's expensive, says Linda. Bob's like, oh, and then you rip my clothes off, then we'll rip Lindsay's clothes off. And he's like, uh...
2: Yeah, basically, now we want these people to die. Yeah. And so... Which shows these people are even more just, like, carefree and nuts, don't give a shit, than Annie and her boyfriend were. Yeah. About going out and getting laid, so you you can pretty much just tell just by the minute they pull up, they're not going to fucking live long.
1: No, and so Bob carries Linda in very similar to how Annie At least was car door wide open. Yeah, and dropping beer cans outside the van, so he's not looking not looking uh, looking a little suspect with that car parked there. Gets into the Wallace's house, there's no lights on. Like, hey, maybe there's a look. We should look for a note. And he says, let's not. So they go and make out on the couch that's right in the uh, living room right and there.
2: Slowly zooms out, and there's a nice little figure standing in front of the camera. And, and Michael's watching we them. just basically get that that arm and shoulder shot.
1: Yeah. And at the Doyle house, the Lori has finished the jack o The Her and the kids have decided to watch the movie. That's when she gets a call from Linda across the street saying, hey, where's Annie? I'm like, I don't know where she's at. Well, whenever you see her, tell her to find out when I'm supposed to put Lizzie to bed. And like Let All Linda right.
2: and Bob know they got the place to themselves.
1: They go upstairs, they, they go upstairs. upstairs, they
2: start screwing in the bed, smoking in the bedroom. It's like my God, was it was this one of those like dumb teenage oh I'll, I'll clean it up later, don't worry. Yeah. It's like who the hell knows when these people are gonna be back, you know? No. They're screwing around. Um as they're screwing around, we see a shadow, you know, run by the wall.
1: But they're 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 pretty much at the climax of that point. Yeah, they so. don't notice. No.
2: So, after their little smoke session, Linda wants a beer. Bob says those faithful words, I'll be right back. You never say. No. I'll be right back. Oh. And he goes downstairs into the kitchen area. The lights are off. All we got illuminating is the light coming through the windows. No music. It's just quiet. Bob looks for the... He gets the beer out. And this, because of these it's goddamn... all one take. All one take, because of these goddamn old pan and skin versions. I never saw this until I saw it properly in widescreen, pretty much on Blu-ray. The back door slowly creaks open. Yeah. Like Michael left it open, and now it's like the wind slowly creaking it open. Bob goes to investigate, looking for Annie, looking for Paul, even even thinking that it's Linda playing a joke. Linda, you asshole. And then we hear, and this is where the newer Blu-ray surround sound mixes come in, because they, they for, for modern uh, home media, they have remixed it, the 35th anniversary Blu-ray, which is the, the current... Highest format. The most current av- uh, available version, has a 7.1 Dolby True HD... Surround sound mix. We hear like a little knocking in a little closet door behind. And we're just thinking, shit, is it, 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 is it Linda playing the joke? Is it Paul coming to look for Annie? Is it Michael? We don't know what the fuck is going on. We just know this guy's in the dark. He's probably going to bite it real soon. So, okay, come on out. Opens the door. Michael storm breaks through. Storms through, grabs him by the neck.
1: And, and this whole Braum. music cue there. Music bomb. As, as Michael slowly lifts him off the floor. With one hand, one hand holds him up, and the other hand pulls
2: up the knife, very machine-like, stabs him right through the stomach, and basically holds him up. In the, the, the knife
1: had to be like three feet long in order for that to work. Yeah, but, it's
2: very unrealistic, but, but but you get it.
1: But I love. The, then it cuts to the wide shot of just Michael
2: staring at admiring the, admiring
1: what he's just done,
2: tilting his head. Which I heard uh, what was it Carpenter got the idea from that, from look at, from thinking about his dog when you know when the dog hears something confusing, they tilt look back their head and
1: forth, back and forth. Yeah. And so we cut back up to upstairs where Aunt, uh, in Linda she's Linda's waiting for
2: her beer. The door slowly creaks open, it's this wide shot, kind of far back from where the bed is, perspective of the, the bedroom door. It's Linda's point of view. Slowly creaks open and there's a figure standing there with a bed sheet over it with the two eye holes cut out like a ghost with Bob's glasses over it. Right. But we hear staring the staring at her.
1: And we hear the breathing, so and we obviously know that Bob's dead at this point, but Linda thinks it's Bob just playing a joke at this point.
2: She flashes him a little, plays around, but then starts to get fed up when he's not communicating back. So she gets up, goes to call Lori because she wants to know where Annie is. Bob. Bob, Bob. We have this. Per- we have this Bob. wonderful perspective. We're Linda to the right of the screen at Into the forefront In the foreground, focus. In the background, out of focus. We now see this, this figure in the sheet walking towards her, and it's building up, and it's building up. Of course, we got to get a cut in there to Lori answering the phone to, to further draw out the freaking suspense. Yeah, <laughs> like it isn't already. As soon as Lori picks up, Michael strikes, wraps the phone cord around Linda's neck and, like, and chokes her to death while Lori's listening to this over the phone. And she thinks it's another joke because Annie called her before with the, the chewing over the phone. She says, right. I heard your famous chewing. Is this your famous squealing? Here's her. Here's Linda die. Here her death rattle, pretty much. Michael picks up the phone and she's just like, Annie? Annie? Like she's concerned and she hears his breathing through the phone. Because like, Michael
1: has picked up the receiver. picks
2: up the receiver listening to it. Lori's, like, taking this shit seriously now. She knows something's wrong. Looks out the window, sees the lights turn on, off from across the street. So finally she says, fuck it, I'm going to go over there and figure out what's going on. Checks on the kids, walks out, and we have the nice slow walk of her walking across the street. Multiple, po- her from her points of view, cutting back to her walking up looking confusing. And the
1: reason, the reason why the previous scene with uh, Linda works and why this scene works is because it's pure Hitchcock. And the reason being... How to generate suspense. The, the, the easiest form of suspense, you think of a scene. You have two people sitting at a table
2: discussing the, baseball. The table bomb scene.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if, and if all of a sudden bomb just goes off and we're unaware of it, and it's like, oh, we have five seconds of shock. But if you show the audience the bomb while the other two people who are up in the conversation are unaware of it, you, you the suspense is immediately built up. That's why this scene works. We know it's Michael. We know it's the shape underneath the, the, the sheet at this point, And know he's killed before. And he's going to kill Linda. It's just,
2: when is he going to do that? And transitioning into the next part where Lori's making her approach, we know he's still in there. And now Lori's going to him.
1: And it's pretty much like it was a recreation of the scene in Psycho when Vera Miles goes up the house from the Bates Motel to the house. It's, very it's, sh- it's like tracking back with her. And then the reverse shot is her point of view approaching the house.
2: And they they draw it out like Laurie's like full on approach. He goes to the front door, no, an- knocks on it, doorbell, no answer.
1: Loomis is on the hunt at this point because he knows that the, yep. the that Michael's car is a few uh, houses down. He's by actually this, in the town
2: by this point. Loomis has by this point we uh, Loomis has discovered he found the station wagon, the um, station wagon that Loomis and Marion were driving to using earlier that he stole. Yes, they found the car. So Loomis has finally had his confirmation that he's here and he's somewhere close. So he begins taking off, looking around. Um, and Laurie, she's she she goes around back, and the, and the thing is, we're following her the whole time. There's very little cuts. I mean, they could have they could have consolidated a lot of this, but they didn't. No, they chose to make it be her full approach, going across the street to the front of the house, to the back of the house, in the house. When she gets in the house, the music stops, and now we're at these like kind of lowish angle. Yeah. Scenes, but in very tight, a lot of corners. She jumps around trying to scare, trying to catch them scaring her. She still thinks it's a big joke,
1: yeah. A Halloween prank, they're pulling on her. The,
2: the, the, there's something subconsciously in her that knows something's wrong, but the conscious part of you that doesn't want to admit something's wrong basically is her thinking, Oh, this is all one big prank. As she's yelling at them, you know, all right, meatheads, yes, this was the 70s, all in the family was very picking, all right, joke's over. She hears- That's
1: why Archie Bunker comes out and scares her real quick.
2: It was Archie Bunker all along. <laughs> yeah. She hears a loud thud coming from upstairs. That's when
1: Rob Reiner comes in and shoots Archie. That was yeah. well. That
2: was Rob Reiner from from twenty years later. Comes in. He guest starred as the Boulder in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I knew I was going to get you once at least tonight. Go <laughs> on. So, of course, we're drawing the show. Lori hears this loud thud coming from upstairs. At this point, if you're not unnerved yet, if the loud thud didn't make you kind of jump in your seat or jolt a little bit. Right. There's the slow approach up the stairs. It's very quiet at this point. The soundtrack is just giving you everything you need to make it even scarier. There's the little piano breaks, but then this little, I don't know if it's like a very, very thin, high-pitched cymbal with a little resonance. Like, ding, ding. Right. Ding. It's part, Look up the Halloween soundtrack on YouTube, folks. Yeah. If you don't already know what I'm talking about. Walking up the stairs, looking around the corner from the stairs and seeing in the master bedroom the light coming from – A candlelight. A candlelight coming – shining through the edge of the door. If, if at this point you aren't hiding under something, um, there's probably something wrong with you. Yeah. Or I'm, dare ho- dare I'm dare hoping. Dare. Truthfully, I am hoping that modern audiences can watch us and still be scared shitless.
1: Well, we did watch uh, a reaction video of friends showing the uh, Halloween to friends, and they were all still spooked by it. We've
2: watched that. I remember I found on YouTube. There's the ending of Halloween, which was re- allegedly recorded in a theater in like 1979 when it was still in its original opening. Yeah. Um, when we went to go see it in digital format, uh, Dakota from this podcast brought one of his friends with, and who's not a horror person at all. And she was scared shitless. Yes.
1: So it does. It's still effective today to an extent.
2: So yes, Lori's making this approach and it's like, we know Michael's there. She's scoured this whole fucking house and we have seen it from a visual perspective that will just, that is just screwing with you mentally right now. Slowly opens the door. It's a shot of her. You know, opening the door, it's from inside the bedroom of her opening the door. She looks at, she sees something that's mortifying her, puts her hands up around her mouth. Annie's dead body is laying on the bed with the Judith Myers tombstone above her head. Michael has set up this elaborate, fucked up, trick-or-treat scare yeah, in order to like, in order to completely like mentally break down Lori before he strikes She backs up to, like, the corner, like, mortified, at which point Bob's body, which was hung up in the closet, falls out. He's now hanging upside down. Swinging. swinging on, like, the clothes hanger. Kind of like how Michael Keaton and Batman. Yes. Or my inversion table we're sitting right next to. Yeah, it's true. She screams, backs up to the the next, like, uh, cabinet, like, clothes cabinet, which... Which was left open, slowly creaks open, and there's Linda's dead body with bruises all around her neck. Cross-eyed. Cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little funny like that. She runs out of the room. She's mortified. She's, like, standing at, like, the like the edge of, like, the uh, railing nearby the stairs at the top of the second floor in the corner. She's so scared. And right next to her is an open bedroom door.
1: But it's in pure blackness, B- com- and I love it how they did it. it's They had a light on a dimmer. And they slowly...
2: Very slowly illuminate. turned up ex- illuminated it. Like, your eyes are getting used to the dark, and it's just that white fucking mask. Like, he's appearing there. And it's like, Jesus Christ, he's fucking there. Oh, my God, what the fuck? And, and, and it takes him, like, a few seconds before he starts moving, so that even, even when the moment to strike has happened, it's still drawn out, even by the littlest bit. Like, it, it's hyped up to fucking unimaginable hype, so he finally... As she starts to walk away towards the stairs, freaked out, he walks out, strikes, slashes her across the arm. She goes over the railing, lands on these wooden steps, yeah, hard, and is now wounded. Bob, Bob, Bob. this is where the, this is where the pursuit is in full effect right now. Where he has struck, and now he's going to finish off the job. The music is giving you every emotion you freaking need. You are at the edge of your goddamn seat, just wondering, oh my god, is she could get away. Nick Castle's just movement, this cat-like movement where he where he walks, you know, kind of menacingly around the stairs till he gets to the edge of it, stops, stairs. Stairs and then as it st- starts going down. Lori's wounded. Her leg is injured at this point. She's been cut badly on the arm. She manages to get in the kitchen, locks the door, but I don't know how Michael did this. He he must have climbed through a fucking window to do this. The back door that she came in, he closed and propped up a rake in there so she can't get through.
1: He probably unlocked the front door before he went out to do that, came back and the- if
2: After she knocked on it, yeah, and, locked, and tried to get into the front door, yeah, she's now stuck in the kitchen. He comes down, punches through the door, and at this point, um anytime you pretty much see a scene of like Michael breaking through something or destroying it's something, Wallace, it is production design. designer Tommy Lee Wallace. Because like I said, this movie was so low budget, they could pretty much only afford to have like one door to be broken or one window to be broken, whatever. And since he was the production designer, he knew what amount of force it would take to break these things yes. and do it properly. So he, they let him put on the suit. I th- believe it was like a total of five people in the suit.
1: Yeah, like uh, that. there was is, there is obviously Nick Castle famously. There's Tommy Lee Wallace. There are a few scenes where –
2: pickup shot of Deborah Hill. There's a, uh, the, the dog door trainer door. and the – Apparently one...
1: Carpenter at some point had the suit on it, but it's, it's unconfirmed. unconfirmed.
2: And at the end, which we will also get to, is man for the final
1: – And the face reveal.
2: And the face reveal, yes, but which we will get to. Yeah. So Michael breaks through the kitchen door, his arm is kind of stuck. He doesn't immediately pull it out, he just stops, stares at her for a second. He's pulling it out, so she finally says, you know she finally takes my own hand, and punches through one of the glass panels in the yeah. window to pull the rake out, and then gets out. She runs out from the back, screaming at the top of her line, Help me, oh my god. Michael's not following her out immediately. He's almost giving her a head start. I wonder, what did he stop to make a sandwich? Did, was that thing of Quaker Oats that we saw in the background when Annie was in the kitchen before look tasty to him? <laughs> he needed to get his Quaker Oats to get his energy back up?
1: I don't know. Like, but, it could be just a like, just mess with her to like, give her more yeah. false
2: hope. But Lori's freaked out. She's limping heavily. She goes to the next door neighbor's door and knocks on it. They turn on their porch lights. Look at her. Go back in. Think it's a Halloween prank. She's on her own now. She, you know, moving as fast as she can with that bed leg, finally get to the Doyle house and realize that she dropped the keys because she was, you see her throughout it. She was carrying them in her hand. She didn't right. put them in a pocket or anything. She'd never purse with her slamming on the freaking door. Tommy, let me in. Looks across the street. And what still gives me goosebumps to this motherfucking day It's the scariest part of the movie is the shot from the, from the Doyle house to the Wallace house. It's a, it's a still shot. Intercutting back and forth with Laurie trying to get Tommy and Lindsay's attention, she throws a potted plant up at them, and the whole shot we see from that perspective, from the Doyle house to the Wallace house, is Michael's slow walk towards her. Mm. It is done with just such a rhythm, like the the, the posture of his shoulders, how he like how he um, steps down off the curb, mm. how he holds the knife in his hand and moves it to another hand. Everything is so fucking. Uh, <sighs> I can't even say it's like it, it's meticulous because I feel it wasn't. I feel it was like all these elements that just came together brilliantly, and it's why Nick Castle is so missed in the sequels. Yes, it's things like that.
1: Spe- specifically in the next movie, specifically the movie which one. we will
2: get to next month. Yeah, but finally, at almost the the last second, she manages. To, Tommy finally wakes from his slumber, comes down, and lets her in. She you know shuts the door, locks it, tells him get upstairs, hurry runs shuts off the lights runs to the phone in the background we could see there's a window open with the with the curtain blowing yeah. i don't know if michael was waiting out by there cut the line first. this is what you, this is what this movie does it makes you think like how the hell did he do this he got in cut the phone well he cut the phone line first to the house got in and was hiding there she goes to pick up the phone it's dead turns around and sees the the open window because they had these very very like long windows
1: yeah like like it's like windows the size of doors. Yeah.
2: The thinner but yeah. you know the the height of doors. Right. The the curtain that covers it blowing in the wind and she know now you know she, she, that he's in there she knows he's in there and it's like what the fuck. She sits by the corner of the couch where she has like her knitting bag cuz it was the 70s and I guess teenagers knitted back then. I, I don't guess know, before they went out and well no cuz the other girls drank beer and screwed around but Right. Basically, got a knitting needle in her hand. It's the only thing that she has on hand, really. And then behind her, we have this low perspective of her sitting in front of the couch. But we can see fully above it. You see a figure rise behind the couch, and that music. Rah, he stabs downward, misses her into the couch cushion. She gets him, gets him in the neck
1: with the with, with the, the knitting new, needle. He he retracts. He pulls it out pulls back and then and drops to the
2: ground like he's dead.
1: Yeah. She grabs the knife to defend herself. She looks over the couch, and we cut to his her point of view. Michael. Seems to be dead, but he is breathing.
2: Really, we can tell. I
1: think he could tell very slightly that he's still breathing.
2: I hope. I hope he really isn't, because I feel it's more effective when you think he's dead. Right. And so Laurie thinks it's okay. She drops a knife, foolishly. She drops a knife because she's not a killer. This was a. This was a moment of like pure instinct yeah. and self-defense.
1: So she goes upstairs. She gets the kids who had locked themselves in, and
2: and in another victim of pan and scan. Another fucking victim of the horrors of Pan and Scan, while she's there hugging the kids, telling them, you know, we're gonna go out and. They st- and there's a victim of widescreen
1: coming up in the moment.
2: Well, that's what I'm saying. Oh, it's yeah. a victim of Pan and Scan. Why, when when widescreen is cut down to four by three? You know,
1: I'm talking about like, you no, know, maybe it's because of the quality of Blu-ray because we see the boom mic in this moment. All right, yes,
2: <laughs> I wasn't talking about that, but yes, yes, we see a boom mic in the shot when the when when Lori gets the kids out and they sort of just kneel down together, hugging each other.
1: Yeah. In the wide shot, it's like a two-shot of, of them. It's like it's Tommy and Lindsay on, on the left and Laurie on the right on the bottom of the screen. You can see the boom mic set in between them.
2: But like you're saying pan and scan. We missed this moment. We missed this moment. It's cutting back between that shot, which you just described, and a shot of Laurie in the standard you know, widescreen version. The, basically, the version you're supposed to see, not the shitty VHS pan, yeah. pan and scan where, he- where freaking the sides are cut off. Tommy's asking Laurie, was that the boogeyman? He's like, yeah, I I, I think I killed him. As she's saying, "I think I killed him." You see, out of the, in the background, all the way to the right, you see him fucking walking up the stairs before he's before like it's almost like preemptive before we're supposed to know that he's still alive. Right. In the penance scan version, this was very effective because after because to, Tommy after she says to Tommy, "I killed him," he says, "You can't kill the boogeyman." And you see him look around, and then you hear scream and a very quick pan to Michael standing at the top of the stairs behind them. Yeah. In the pan and scan version, in the 4x3, you know, old CRT VHS version, that scene is effective enough alone. When I saw this in widescreen for the first time, I got fucking chills because they show his descent. And you even hear his f- footsteps walking up the stairs when Laurie says, I killed him before Tommy even notices he's there. Right. We, the audience, know that he's he's back before fucking the, the victims do. Yes. You know? And it's so goddamn unnerving. She locks the kids in the bathroom. Runs into the bedroom, op- you know, opens the uh, balcony doors. They had a balcony, yeah, in the the Doyle house. Looks that goes to the backyard. Yeah, that goes to the backyard. Well, actually, not the front yard.
1: In Halloween two, it goes to the front yard. In, in Halloween, in, in first Halloween, it's the backyard.
2: Now, do you think that they chose the? Here is the thing: without actually seeing the true layout, because there is a balcony in the front yard as well. Yes. Do you think there is two balconies in that actual house? Or that they just chose to, to do that shot of Michael laying at the end in the backyard.
1: I guess they chose it, it
2: looked better or whatever? I guess
1: so. But, like, because it's the same house in Halloween 2 where he goes out. But it's, yes. But
2: it is the front balcony. And we will discuss this more in the Halloween 2 right. podcast next week. Uh, next week. Next, next month. month. I wish next week. That would be great. So Lori sees the balcony is no option, but she leaves the door open. That's important for later. Yeah. Hides in the, in the closet. It's one of those old what, uh, what the hell are those like called? Veranda, do- veranda, veranda folding doors. Yeah, she closes them, takes down the thing of like pantyhose, ties them shut, ties them tight, yeah. tries to be quiet. But then you see a shadow just walk by those like Venetian blind yes. type deals. He knows she's in there. He starts pulling on the door. He can't get it open. Breaks through the freaking blinds, and she's like trying so hard not to scream at that point. As he breaks through, he accidentally pulls on the little uh, light bulb pull string. Yeah, turns on the lights in the closet. All these coat hangers and everything are falling down. She reaches up in like a moment she can while he's kind of stuck. Yeah. He seems to have gotten his hand stuck around the light bulb cord. Grabs a wire hanger, starts unraveling it. Him, as he frees himself, he turns the light off again. She pokes him in the freaking eye with it. At which point, you know, he's stunned. He's got his hands up above his face. He drops the knife into the closet. She picks it up, and you see the look of, like, rage on her face. Like, this is this is instinctual at this point. It this heaves is, it into is This is backing an animal into a, a dangerous animal into a corner, and she heaves it right into his fucking chest. It makes the most hollow, like, funk. At which point, he falls back on the ground. You know, we think he's dead. And she's just, like, she's relieved for a second, but there's something that you can almost tell she knows it's not over yet. Right. But she drops the knife again. She looks up outside the closet, sees his body, opens it. Walks around it, throws the knife down, thinking, "Okay, I stabbed him in the fucking chest. That's got to be it." She goes, she gets, um, what was it? Actually, no. It, before that, it cuts to Loomis. Uh, Bracket follows him and finds him in his police car. Loomis has long since left the Myers house, walking the streets after seeing the station wagon. L- Bracket's been looking for Loomis. He says, "I found the car. He's here." Alerts Bracket to start just looking around, looking all around. You know, we're getting we're getting to the big climax at this point. Right. Laurie gets the kids out of the bathroom and tells them, you know, go down the street, tell a neighbor. The Mackenzie's house. The Mackenzie's house, which, which the Mackenzie, that that line makes an appearance again in Scream. Yep. And then in Halloween H2O, there's a line, go down to the Beckers. That was the family uh, from Scream. In the opening. So the kids leave. And there's this, uh, just yet again, just this goddamn cinematography. We have Lori in the foreground, close up of her face to the, the left, left to, side, to the left frame. side of the frame, sitting in the doorway of the bedroom door. In the background, out of focus, there's Michael's body there, and he sits up like the fucking Undertaker.
0: Yeah. Actually,
2: better, more methodical. Sits up and just looks at her, so robotic-like. Bomb. The music starts again. Bum bum. Cut to the kids running out of the house, screaming in terror. Loomis has noticed this. Loomis has, fun- has gotten to where the, the Doyle and Wallace houses are. He sees the kids run out, and that's his first clue. He's in there. We see Lori rise to her feet, the same style angle, her in, fo- in the foreground close up on the left, and in the background, in the bedroom, through the doorway, out of focus, Michael rises up right after her. giving It's drawing it out even further. She starts to move a little forward, and he starts moving forward. He eventually comes into focus in the foreground. We see her start going through the doorway. It's a, it's a perspective where the doorway, the, be- the bedroom is basically on your right. You can't see into the bedroom anymore. Yeah. It's just her walking away from it. You very quickly see a shadow move by, and boom, he strikes. He grabs her by the neck, starts choking her. She's gripping you know, at his mask and everything. Loomis gets in, runs up the stairs, and once he's at the top of the stairs, he pulls out his gun. Lori, who's been clawing at his mask, pulls his mask off, and we see Michael's face. It's played by actor Tony Moran.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, brother of uh, Happy Days star Erin Moran, who recently passed away. Oh,
1: really? I didn't yeah. know that. Who we did show up at my college once for a talk, and I'm like, even I was like, despite a huge Halloween fan, like, I, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to, that's cool, but I'm, I'm <laughs> going to pass on that.
2: But yes, and they did the makeup where Michael's eye is wounded from being poked with a coat, the, the uh, coat hanger, and at this point, Like, really looking back, I think back to the VHS version, there's almost this weird, like, disfigurement to his face, but it's all completely psychological. It's all in your head because you have built up this killer, this monster, as being something horribly evil. And when his face is finally exposed, your subconscious has made him out to be even more hideous than he actually is. Tony Moran back then was actually a pretty good-looking guy. Right. And that's what Carpenter was going for. That's why he chose... To have another actor instead of Nick Castle, who's been in the freaking suit for nearly the whole movie, mm. be there for that reveal. He wanted to show an angelic face to this monster.
0: Yeah.
2: But even when he does that, even when I watch, I watched the fucking movie last night and I've seen pictures of, you know, there's behind the scenes stills of Nick, of um, uh, Tony Moran just chilling with them, smiling, everything looks great. Even when I watch it to this day and they pull the mask off, there's just something just weird about his face. Like something yeah. like that guy looks like a fucking killer. Right. It's so hard to it's so hard to put in words. You know I mean, he's clean shaven, hair relatively short, yeah. a little st- stringy. Yeah, but
1: he's been wearing a Halloween mask all night.
2: He's been wearing a Halloween mask all night, and his eye his eye is injured. He's had a rough night. Yeah, but just if you just compare, like like go go on Google search, you know, behind the scene image of Tony Moran in the in the coveralls on the set, and the actual shot of him in the movie, and it feels like it's two different people. Yeah, it feels like it's this you know horribly like this person with these like evil-looking facial features when he really isn't. That's how much his movie has built it up psychologically.
1: And so Loomis shoots him once. He puts the mask
2: back on. Loomis shoots him once.
1: And he goes bouncing back into the master bedroom.
2: Into the master bedroom. Laurie's in the corner right now covering her ears. Loomis runs in. There's Michael just staring, standing there staring at him. Shoots him the five more times. Empties his freaking revolver out. <clears throat> Michael goes tumbling over the balcony. This time now, the stunt man.
1: Yeah, ass over tea kettle into the backyard. Ass over tea
2: kettle into the backyard, lands on his back. He's laid out, strewed out in the final <laughs> music stab. At which point, Loomis, he's still, like, pulling the trigger. Like, you could tell he's, he's unnerved. He mentally checked out. He's, like, it's just clicking because there's yeah. no more bullets. Finally, he gets it. He turns around, looks at Lori. She asks, was that the boogeyman? He says, as a matter of fact, it was. And then the final shot of the movie, Loomis walks up to the balcony, looks out. Michael is gone. The Halloween theme plays, you know, it cuts back to Lori who's terrified, and then it cuts back to Loomis, and in a famous moment in many docu- Halloween documentaries, John Carpenter said that Donald Pleasants told him, I could play this two ways. I could do this, oh my God, he's gone, or I knew this would happen. He did both, and they went with, I knew this would happen, and Loomis's face fucking says everything. Yeah. As the theme is playing, and then all it cuts to is just all the places he's been, shots of like the Doyle House staircase, the Doyle House living room. The The Wallace House. The Wallace House, inside of the Wallace House, and finally the Myers House, all the while while they're cutting to these shots. These shots were just like when the camera was on right before the actual slate came out and said, you know, action. Yeah. It's just there just to show you all the places he had been, all the places he could be. And as this is going on, his breathing, you just hear the sound of Michael Myers breathing in the background getting heavier and heavier and heavier until the ending shot of the Myers House where it just cuts to credits. Brilliant. Brilliant. If I wasn't afraid of uh, breaking this mic, I would just drop it right now. (laughs) Mic drop. So you hate the movie, obviously. It's the worst fucking movie of all time. (laughs) Um, I think it's stupid. I think everyone... There's no cell phones. Why didn't they use cell phones? Why didn't they call each other on cell... They should have been texting the whole time. Yeah. Zero out of five stars. But seriously. But seriously, it... For every reason I've told you, folks, I'm sitting here like I, I'm like feel worked up myself right now. This has that's why I haven't said anything like the past 20 minutes. Just letting you go. This has become my all-time favorite fucking movie. It has surpassed for the longest time. The Godfather was because I felt the transformation of Michael Corleone was one of the greatest things captured on cinema. I have to level with you, people. I am so much more. Infatuated, obsessed, and I watch Halloween more than any other fucking movie. That's why it's my favorite of all time.
1: It's moved up to my number two position. And and the one thing I really I realized about watching it this time, like for this review, the movie is so – it seems so instinctive. Like the camera is like – the camera shouldn't be anywhere else. Like of course it should be there at that moment. Like the one moment that, that comes to mind is when, uh, when Laurie and Annie are pulling up to the hardware store and we were, were – Further down the street from Michael, and he pulls he pulls the curb and and parks for a moment because he doesn't want to get right up on the sheriff and right where the store he just he just robbed earlier in the day. Like, of course, that's the perfect shot. Where it's supposed to be there, it was. It's meant to be there. Like all the blocking of it, and I love it. And I love the fact that, especially in this movie, and the reason why I love Spielberg movies, I love especially Jaws and I love Robocop, is that carpenter spielberg and Verho- paul verhoven have moved their actors throughout the frame and so they'll have multiple compositions in one shot so it's not just like close up close up close up close up and we just cut back and forth and the rhythm of the scene is di- dictated by that no the scene is dictated by the actors and their movement and he's like these scenes could go on long but no it's the actors moving throughout the frame and, and deliberating the pace of the movie and i think it's why it's and it's like. It's something that's a kind of a lost art that I try and do myself. Like, all right, let's try and do a longer take but not, like, too long where it's become obnoxious. Let's try and make it feel as natural as possible. And it's mostly to emulate movies like
2: this. There's nothing wasted about this movie. No. No wasted. It is, it is, to this. the
1: point that it had to have –
2: They had to shoot more stuff for the TV cut. We'll get to that in a second. But, like, to, to, to continue on this, there's – this is probably just the definite – if you want to see the blueprint of the word efficiency, look at Halloween. Yeah. It, it, it made... Carpenter specifically, but yes, definitely this. Definitely Halloween. Like, this really is his, like, masterpiece. It redefined fucking horror because of taking all the elements that came before that are classics still to this day on their own and bringing them to a whole new level for for no for no money, $325,000. Yeah. Anyway. And we're going to make $60 million yes. worldwide then. And it was something that was not a hit immediately. Immediately, because horror didn't have the greatest reputation at that point. No. This yeah.
1: is the one that proved that. It this did. is
2: one that proved that it did. They took it to UCLA, where where um, Carpenter was from. It was his alma mater. Bro- screened in front of students, and they fucking hated it. Um, when it originally opened, it wasn't like it is today, where you have like a wide release, where thousands of people show it the very first day. It was regional. It goes from city to city to city, from area to area to area. It initially opened up not to any real fanfare for like what a month. Yeah, the first month was pretty much down. There. Everyone thought, okay, we we screwed up. Yeah. Um but we didn't then, spend too much on it, so I think it's okay. After the uh, review in The Village Voice, that's where it really started ramping up. Then Roger Ebert gave it an incredible review. Right. And from there, it just kept taking off. Like, every week's numbers were getting higher and higher until it was to record-breaking points.
1: It was it was the definition of a slow burn and a word of mouth.
2: Yes, a t- complete word of mouth. Like, people who saw it went and told all their friends, you have to do this, this is the scariest fucking thing you will ever say. Yeah. And it worked.
1: Like unlike the Exorcist which had like a wide release because they had Warner Brothers behind it. So it, it was and it was a massive hit as soon as it came out. Halloween was a different thing. It was it was just like alright, we'll just slowly build momentum to the point where every horror movie tried to try to ape off its success. Like every slasher movie came after it is aping off Halloween one fashion or another. And so it's just it's truly wonderful and it, it kinda sucks for Carpenter and Deborah Hill because in the next movie, The Fog it's a 180 from this movie, and I guess they kind of like – the producers kind of want something akin to Halloween and hope for that success. And it had success. It was made in $1 million and it made $21 million, so
2: – There's a part of me that feels any horror movie today owes its respect. If you have a horror movie who gets its success on music, you owe it to fucking Halloween. If you have a horror movie that owes its success to building an atmosphere, you owe it to Halloween. But then does Halloween owe it to Psycho? I would say Halloween owes it a lot to all the movies we've discussed. Right. But the thing is, it took what those began and did it better. Yes.
1: It just it, it's, it didn't just execute, it elevated. Yes. And everything else after it had to measure to that level. Yes. Including Carpenter's career, like I mentioned before. Now, if you could choose a favorite moment from this. What oh! Be?
2: I can't choose a favorite moment. Actually, you know what? I take it back. I think I can. I think it's the the... Approach of Michael Taloria. She's trying to get back into the Doyle house. Because when I watch that to this day, the fucking hairs on my arm stand up. And I will sometimes rewind it over and over again to watch it again. Yeah. It's that effective.
1: It might be that scene for me. And it actually might be the cemetery scene. If for some reason, just like, I don't know, just like the the serene feeling of that cemetery. And the caretaker going, just droning on about the story. And it's just like you mentioned before, it further hammers home the point that every town has this. This could be happening at your town, and I think it's why I because we grew up in the suburbs. We grew up here on Long Island, and that and is why I'm so attracted to these kind of stories, and why I'm attracted to like, home of the
2: Amityville Horror. Yes,
1: and why I'm attracted to movies set in the suburbs, and especially. in any way – I, I know it's kind of weird, but like like reading up on like killers and stuff like that, and watching documentaries about that happened like within the, the confines of suburbs. It's like you may know your neighbor, you may like your neighbor, you may even trust your neighbor. You know, what the fuck's going on? Exactly. Ed Gein, people were friends with him for years, and he was he was digging people up and uh, cutting and making uh, skin uh, mm-hmm. uh, skin suits, skin suits out of Buffalo ever. Bill skin suits. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, was she, was she a great big, fr- a great big fat, fr- fat person from Buffalo Bill, from Silence of the Lambs, and a, a product of the Ed Gein legend. Um, I'm just trying to think. Of
2: what, like, all right, let's talk about the TV cut. Well, okay, so. um... Halloween continued its huge success. The slasher genre was pretty much established by imitators rather than innovators.
1: Friday the 13th being the biggest prominent of that. Yeah,
2: a lot of them would have their own individual innovations but not without a lot of imitation to to build it up. Um, By 1981, um, John Carpenter was basically coerced into wanting another Halloween. Like, making another Halloween. Like, people wanted it. Mm -hmm. Producers and studios wanted it. Uh, Universal Pictures bought out the rights to Halloween. It was now a Dino De Laurentiis deal. Yeah. So you had a major studio. You had real money. And during the filming of it, uh, NBC was planning on broadcasting the original Halloween on television for the first time. But due to some of the censorships we've talked about, as well as the total runtime of the movie... You didn't have something that would fit into a standard block of TV. I believe it was like a full two-hour block. Yeah. So they were asked to film additional scenes for it. Um, Carpenter filmed these and – Was it Carpenter or Rosenthal? Who filmed these? I think it was Carpenter.
1: Okay. Rick Rosenthal, the, the director of Halloween too. So, so I, I wanted to be uh, clear about that. I believe
2: it was because it had everything to do with the original Halloween, which Rosenthal had basically no say over. Okay. But um, – Additional scenes were filmed because there were no I, – I, to the best of my knowledge, there's no delete, real deleted scenes from Halloween. No, I am pretty sure like the – It was all shot as the, was all on the, paper. From
1: what I remember from the script that I read back in college, yeah, it's like every scene is on, on what, screen. What was
2: on paper made it to film. Yeah. Nothing was cut out. Nothing was left out. No. So he had a, a couple of additional scenes, originally beginning with after Michael kills his sister. Instead of cutting to 15 years later, it cuts to – that. Six months later? Yeah. What does it say? 1964 at Smith Grove where Loomis is before um, two of his superiors Mm -hmm. at the mental institution pleading his case that Michael Myers be moved to a more maximum security uh, facility. Mm -hmm. Uh, The two – his two superiors do not believe a word he says. They believe
1: he's catatonic and he's
2: he's non-threat. They believe he's not a threat, that he really is, like, nuts. It is, it, well, Loomis says believes that his catatonia is, is fake, that he's covering up, but he cannot prove anything. They basically suggest to him, maybe you shouldn't take him on as a patient. Loomis says, no, I'll take him on. Because Loomis, Loomis, by this point, after six months, understands what he's dealing with. Uh, he goes, walks into Michael's room. It's still played by the same young actor, Will Sandon. a couple years later. You could tell he's a little visibly older, but he's yeah, still I'm a like kid. He's... he's still a kid, though. Yeah. Um, where Loomis says... Basically, looks at Michael, who's just staring out the window. He says, You know, you fooled them, but not me. The next of our deleted scenes, I believe it's the next of our deleted Hey, I have my Halloween laser disc over here, which has them restored. I'll be right I'm there. pretty sure it's the next, it's when Loomis That's goes
1: the into, the, yeah, it goes to, it cuts into the same hallway and the same uh, room that Michael was being held in. And it's, it shows the destruction that, um, Michael did to his room in order to escape, and the message that he leaves on the wall is that he uh,
2: As Michael is desperately scree- uh, finds his laser disc, and he's back. My Criterion Collection Halloween Laser Disc, which had these TV scenes restored in it. So. Yes, I believe television version. The doctors play. Yes, it's known as the chapter chapter seventeen on side one. Michael makes a mess. Yeah, where it's basically the same hallway that we see Loomis walking down in the previous, you know, scene. This scene is now right before, directly before Loomis talks to Doctor Winn, who basically says, "I, I told everybody." Yeah. So Loomis is basically investigating the breakout the very next morning. Goes to his room where Michael's room is completely trash destroyed. The nurses are saying that he was breaking all them out, all the patients out, rounding them out one by one and asking who was watching him. The security guard was sick or whatever. Somebody wasn't watching Michael and he had the opportune time to break out. He said, what did you want to show me? The nurse closes the door and scratched into it is the word sister. Yeah. This would play heavily into the filming going on at the time of Halloween 2, which we will get into next month. We're focusing on this as a standalone movie that it is. Right. Um, where Loomis sees it and then he goes, you know, leaves to go deal with Dr. Wynn, where the nurse says, Dr. Wynn is waiting for you. Right. And then it cuts to the scene of him leaving. Yes. Yeah.
1: And that's a big, long panic light shot that leads him to like,
2: he was doing very well last night. Maybe someone yes. here gave lessons. And the very last of these scenes is after Lori has been scared shitless by seeing Michael out in the neighbor's yard and talking to Annie. It's her basically getting ready to go babysit the night out of the shower here's a doorbell ringing lord uh jamie lee curtis in this she's wearing a bathrobe and has her hair up in a towel because she had actually cut her her hair off shorter yeah by this point uh halloween too she, she's a little trivia skipping ahead she actually wore a wig right. the whole time so she had her hair up in a towel as you got out of the shower and linda you know ringing her doorbell laurie who's already you know just mentally checked out by this point. is like, wondering who's ringing on my doorbell so vigorously looks out the window. It's Linda. Let's all right in. she's like, oh, let me in. Let me in. There's some guy in a station wagon following me. Yeah. Michael. Yeah. She thinks it's a classmate. You know, because the brother owns a station wagon. Lori says how there was a guy with a station wagon following, staring at me today, and then he was following us on the way home. Right. And Linda's basically, you know, just basically trying to tell her, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing, whatever. But it's that, like we were saying before, how Lori knows something's wrong, but yeah. none of her friends want to identify with it.
1: And Linda came over to borrow a blouse. Borrow,
2: borrow the blouse that she doesn't want Bob to rip later in the movie. And at one point, Annie calls. Yeah. And there's. Just going back and forth, having more, it's more the, the girl talk, right? The scene was basically there just to establish that, like, Michael is still following everyone, right? All these can be considered heavy filler. The thing, though, is that the first time I saw them, I can remember one of the early times I watched Halloween on, uh, you know, cable channels. Mm-hmm. We were out visit. My mom and I were out visiting one of her best friends. That I pretty much like a former coworker and one of her best friends I know my whole life. We all went out to dinner that night. It was me. My mom, my stepfather and the friend when we got back, you know, they just sat me in front of the TV. They're talking about whatever. And I know and Halloween came on by total surprise on. I think it was on USA Network. That was where we had the compass, the old compass bumper before it. Okay. And then when the the scene ends, when he kills Judith and then it doesn't cut to 15 years later, I'm like, holy fuck. I'm watching a version that has deleted scenes. I thought that these were actual deleted scenes from there. Because a common practice in a lot of movies on TV is that if they have to cut things or if the running time isn't – for whatever the running time isn't correct, they will in, reinsert actual deleted scenes. Yeah, like, um, the, one,
1: like the one how I in, was introduced to that was Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I was Detective. just going
2: to say, look at the TV version of Ace Ventura Pet Detective.
1: As my phone goes off.
2: As your phone goes off, interrupting okay. this podcast. That was weird. Sorry. Totally but. different from me just looking for this laser disc just now, interrupting yeah. the podcast. But yes, look to uh, the TV cut of Ace Ventura: Pet Detective where they add all the c- scenes back in that were deleted, which really don't mean anything except the one at the end when he goes back to the freaking club to talk to his hippie friend and he gets on stage with Cannibal Corpse. That was an awesome scene. Yes, that I love. But I literally thought I was watching a cut with deleted scenes. And at this point, you know, 1997, I'm I'm just like mentally like flawed and obsessed by this movie. Now that now there's more of it, and I'm like. I didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stay. There. It, was, it was like eleven thirty at night. I wanted to stay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so,
1: any final thoughts you have on Halloween?
2: Fuck, man! Anchor Bay has re-released it so many times in so many different ways. You could find him find it laying around anywhere. If if you folks have a Blu-ray player out there, pick up the thirty-fifth anniversary edition. That one was the uh, transfer was supervised by Dean Cundey himself. The cinematographer of the movie. Which cinematographer. The, of the he's movie. still
1: my favorite cinematographer and is. And this movie is an absolute blast because of the cinematography.
2: It looks absolutely stunning. It sounds absolutely stunning. If you have a 7.1 surround sound mix, it's awesome. If you have a 7.1 surround sound system, there's an awesome 7.1 surround sound mix in this release. Uh, the previous one that came out in the late 2000s, after Blu-ray had really started, uh, after it had began, that's a great second, if you can find it. I know there's the Divimax edition DVD, which I think that that, First print Blu-ray was based off of. That's a good one too. I own that for years. There's also the uh, multi-disc DVD version that has the television cut, where all these scenes are inserted back in the movie. A lot of these versions don't actually have the television the television scenes inserted back into the film itself. They're it's like a, supplemental, they're,
1: they're, they're deleted scenes. The laser right.
2: disc I have right here actually has them. And they they come at the end of each. Uh, disc yeah. And they're presented in 4x3 as you would have watched them on TV. So, right. I mean, if I didn't already have these on one of the Blu-rays, I would be disappointed, but whatever.
1: Right.
2: Fuck, man. Just watch Halloween. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's obviously... Watch just, Halloween. Yes.
2: Introduce your friends to it. If you have a friend that's unnerved and scared by shit, Turn watch up your
1: lights, it. turn up your phones, put this on. Put this on. I mean, it's... I absolutely adore it. I've introduced it to so many friends over the years because I, I am obsessed with it just as much as Mike is. I mean there's a, a – kind of like a weird um, thing that I was kind of, I've been contemplating and doing is like how to study film, like literally break it down shot by shot, like get myself a uh, notebook and I just write down every shot, what happens in each shot. And then I'm going to start off with Halloween because I think it's a break, another way of breaking down the movie and how to really just <clears throat> find out the DNA of how it works and why it works and why the music works with certain cues. I, I say – If you haven't – if you have gotten this far and you haven't liked the movie, you're unaware of it. I'm sorry that we kind of spoiled it for you, but – If you haven't watched it yet, what the fuck
2: are you doing listening to a podcast about it? Sure. So – It's your own fault.
1: Yeah, so I say check it out if you haven't yet. If you haven't done it in a while, go back and watch it and continue up with us because your homework for next month is for us. We'll be covering Halloween 2 – and we'll be talking about that in February. Now, Mike, I know you don't have any social media, so you don't have to do anything no Nothing whatsoever.
2: Don't come looking for me. Yeah, so... I'm trying to, uh, just trying to think if I'm missing anything. I swear to God, watch. As soon as I lay my head down on the freaking no, pillow, no, I'm, I'm going to think to myself, fuck, why didn't I say that? Yes.
1: It happens with every podcast <sighs> and every recording. Um,
2: if you Send me a copy, <laughs> if you could find it, of the Halloween Atari 2600 game. It costs hundreds of dollars. Um, I I don't have any money to give you. I will pay you back with my love only. I don't even have an Atari, but if you could find it for me, that'd be great.
1: Um, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2 my Instagram at Rooney 1012 my Facebook page for my podcast, the Anything Goes Podcast, which you can find on Facebook.com, and my Facebook page for my YouTube channel, Through the Lens Productions, which you can also find obviously on YouTube under the same banner. Uh, my latest promo uh, video that's up there is actually for the other podcast that I'm a part of now, the Please Rewind, the RF4RM retro show that's part of the Real Fans for Real Movies Network at RF4RM.com. Yeah, we
2: got ourselves a new audience. We're open to with this. Exactly. This is pretty cool.
1: And the first episode, Return of the Jedi, is up. Our second one is about to come up uh, very soon. It's another Carpenter movie, the 1988 classic, They Live. So I, I've done two Carpenter podcasts in the same week, which made me feel very happy. <laughs> and then, yeah, and so – and we're actually going to be – Talking about, actually, Halloween, actually, for that show in October. So, pretty much, like I'm going to say, like, three words. Let Ed, uh, the ghost guy and Jamie talk for the entire time because I've said mo- – uh, I'll probably find more stuff to talk about. Said, Listen to my shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so – I'm pretty sure the people who are listening to this are, are fan. Oh, most of the stuff that came from the real fans group. Anyway, if you haven't, you can also follow the the Please Rewind Facebook page and Twitter page under the same banner. Please Rewind. Uh, Mike, thank you for taking time right night to talk maybe, about this. Maybe I'll
2: come back to Instagram one of these days, but I got no pictures to show. Yeah, it would just be that. I don't day. take pictures.
1: It would just picture of the puppy. Pretty much. Yeah, but um, so yeah, Mike, I want to thank you again for taking time right now to talk. It's a
2: Enjoy being had. Thank you all for joining us. Um, I hope you guys come back each month, like. He said at the beginning we're going to go through the entire Halloween series, every, one movie every month. Uh, we have already done a podcast for Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. That month we will be taking off. We will just link it to you. Yeah. You, you may- know what? I have an idea. Maybe we'll just throw some, like, updated thoughts. It will be something short.
1: Yeah, if that – or maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take that out of the feed and I'll just, like – re upload that with a new intro or something like that. Well, I'm not too sure. Something
2: like We'll toss up the ideas. But the point is we're going to end it with the brand new. Review of the new br- one. New of, of Halloween 2018. Yeah. Which I hope to God they change the title from just Halloween to like something. Halloween Returns was a cool title. Yeah. I am even thinking, I have toyed up in my mind, maybe having a last month after that of Final Thoughts, everything else. Ranking of them ranking, but other media, stuff like that, because I have just remembered the goddamn novelization of this movie. And at this point in the frickin' podcast, I have no problem saving that for yeah. a later one, because there's a whole world of, of comics and short stories and shit like that.
1: There's so much expanded Small media. Small, vi-
2: but... like, little video games here and there. Right. There's expanded media. Maybe we'll do an episode on that and just final feelings about the series as a whole.
1: hmm And as long the way... The as epilogue. In, yes. And every, every month that we go along, if there's new news new news from the Halloween 2018 of coming out, then we'll obviously we'll talk about at the top of the show. So don't have to worry about that.
2: We are your one-stop shop for everything Halloween.
1: Yes. And if you enjoy the show, uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe to it if you haven't done it thus far. And leave a written review because it really helps to get the word out there and it really makes us feel special. And we, we do this for fun anyway, but knowing that there's somebody out there and appreciates us – it makes us work that much harder to bring good content to you. So, Mike, I want to thank you again for uh, letting me come over and talk Halloween with you.
2: In my, play, in my creepy basement yes. that we love filming in.
1: Of course. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this review of Halloween. Come back next week when we talk about Halloween 2. And stay tuned because there's more geek and pop culture stuff coming from this feed specifically. And we'll
2: talk to you soon. Thank you and good night. And
1: we're recording. <clears throat> <clears throat>
2: You should think this
1: shit it shit is going in the end <laughs> ta ta
2: ta ta
1: ta